the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. Hi, this is Denny O'Neill. My name is Neil Adams. This is Paul Dini. Hi, my name is Dan DeDio. This is Kevin Conroy. Hey, this is Francis Manipal. Hi, this is Jim Lee, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 164. I'm your host, Dustin, and today I have with me... This is Ed. And this is Stella. And we are bringing you the latest comic news and comic book reviews from June 14th through June 27th. We do not have any specific books to review, but we do have a bunch of books that we're going to cover in our spotlight. But let's start off with comic news. So, not a whole lot of news. As we predicted on the last episode, a lot of the news that's coming is, you know holding out for Comic-Con as it's only a couple weeks away. Um, as you're listening to this, it's only about a week away. So let's uh, cover what did come out. The first thing let's talk about is solicitations. Uh, first up, the graphic novel and trade solicitations were announced for October and November of 2015. Um, the big chunk of the solicitations for the group or for the collected editions include Convergence. Uh, there's a Convergence hardcover, which which covers the main Convergence series, but then they broke the other Convergence trades into basically the area that they exist in. So we have Convergence Zero Hour, Book 1 and Book 2, Convergence Crisis, Book 1 and Book 2, Convergence Flashpoint, Book 1 and Book 2, and Convergence Infinite Earths, Book 1 and Book 2. Uh, a number of Batman titles are appearing in both all those trades, so definitely check that out. Also, uh, the other ones announced, Teen Titans Earth 1, which released last November in hardcover form, is now releasing a trade paperback form. Uh, we also have Batman The Road to No Man's Land, Volume 1, uh, Batman War Games, Volume 1, Batman Arkham Two-Face, Catwoman a Celebration of 75 Years, which includes a ton of different issues that Catwoman obviously has been focused in, Batman Robin, Volume 7, Robin Rises, Batman The Golden Age Omnibus Hardcover, Batman Adventures Volume 3 Trade Paperback, and then there's a couple of other ones, Earth 2 Volume 6 Collision Hardcover, Birds of Prey Volume 1 Trade Paperback, which is not included, it says Volume 1, but it's actually including the old Chuck Dixon run, um, mm. the original miniseries for uh, Black Canary, Oracle Birds of Prey, Birds of Prey Revolution, Birds of Prey Manhunt, Birds of Prey Wolves, Birds of Prey Batgirl, and Showcase 96. So a lot of the original issues that the Birds of Prey uh, first appeared in. Uh, Justice League, League of One trade paperback. Injustice Gods Among Us, Year 2, Volume 2. Smallville Season 11, Lantern. And that is it, except for Secret Six, Volume 3, which is covering a lot of the issues pre-New 52. Um, this is covering issues 15 through 24 in Suicide Squad number 67. So lots of trades coming out. So it's, it's kind of expected because, as we all know, October, November, a lot of people start buying stuff for the holidays, and DC does not ever disappoint with the amount of material they release. No, they do not. All right. So then moving into the main solicitations, uh, 
a bunch of well, first off, let's let's talk about something we talked about last episode. Last episode we we discussed briefly whether or not we believe something they were going to be doing some sort of event in September. And as it turns out, there is no event. Uh, Yay! Literally the day <laughs> after we recorded it, they re- released they released the solicitations for September, and it's just a normal month, except for there is five Wednesdays in the month of September, so there is a number of annuals. Uh, just covering which books will have annuals in September. Uh, New Suicide Squad, Batman, and Grayson are all getting annuals, as well as Batman Arkham Knight, which is getting an annual, which I believe this is actually the first time a digital series is getting an annual, at least as far as the Batman universe is concerned, which I found kind of interesting. I know Legends of the Dark Knight has had oversized issues. Uh, they call, I think they were calling them 80 page giants when they released them, but for the most part, this is the first book as, as far as Batman 66, Batman Arkham Knight, Batman, uh, Batman, the Batmanga, the Jirukawada Batmanga. I, I don't think any of those other books have had annuals. So kind of interesting. It's just basically an oversized story still by, uh, Peter Tomasi. So check that out. Uh, as far as the main slew of books that are coming out, um, there's a couple of different things. So, First up, uh, let's talk the Batman Annual. It's not written by Scott Snyder. It's actually written by James Ting IV. Uh, hmm. The solicitation says something about Batman is gone, but Bruce Wayne is alive. Uh, what does that mean for Gotham City? And who is Bruce Wayne without Batman? Uh, so <clears throat> I'm guessing that based off of that solicitation, that uh, it's going to be revealed that Bruce Wayne is still alive before that annual comes out, which means it will either happen in issue number 44 of Batman or issue 43 we know 40 if you if you are if you've been paying attention to the solicitations for June July August and now September uh June and July have Batman by Scott Snyder kind of telling basically setting up this Gordon as as the robo bat um but there's a the story in August doesn't actually reference Gordon at all and talks about a new character called Mr. Bloom. Um, and the issue for September continues that story. So it's interesting to see, one, a new, basically, Snyder writing short story arcs, because there are only two issues at this point. Um, but the other part of it is, because there's no mention of Gordon in the Batsuit, is that really going to last? You know, we talked about that before, too. But uh some of the other books in Batgirl number 44, we have... The Return of Velvet Tiger. And she is, Velvet Tiger is going after Luke Fox, and the cover shows Barbara in the arms of Luke Fox, which is kind of interesting. Uh, Black Canary has a guest artist, Pierre Guerrera, from Why the Last Man. He, they, uh, they join the series for basically one issue. Um, we have Catwoman number 44, which is dealing with the mob turf war. Detective Comics number 44 deals with Joker's daughter. Oh, goody. Yeah, Joker's daughter reveals her plan to take on Batman as Task Force. <clears throat> Gotham by Midnight is dragged into interrogation by Internal Affairs. Gotham Academy has a bunch of the students joining the school production of Macbeth. Uh, the Grayson Annual has uh, Grayson returning home. And, well, actually, the Grayson main series, Grayson number 12, has uh, Dick returning to Gotham City. Uh, since he faked the, for the first time since he faked his own death, 
And then the annual deals with him knowing that now that Batman is gone and he seeks out Superman, um, but they wonder if, but both of them have changed and they're wondering if they can find common ground to stop Blockbuster from dealing with Spiral. Uh, as far as Harley Quinn goes, we have Harley going to Los Angeles and it seems that she becomes an overnight sensation. Love is in the air and Harley Quinn and Power Girl. Uh, Robin, son of Batman, has Robin versus Deathstroke. And We Are Robin has the, basic. the solicitation reads, in the wake of a huge loss, the Robins are reeling with grief. Rico takes to the rooftops of Burnside to find a symbol of hope and finds herself living out a dream as she teams up with her personal hero, Batgirl. So, un- no idea who the huge loss is. It's not, you know, Duke is even mentioned in that solicitation, so we'll have to see what happens with that. Um, but those are the main books to, to cover. Obviously, there's a slew of other books to, to, you know, that are coming out as well, but that is the main books that, you know, obviously we focus here on the podcast. Uh, is, is I it, am I reading? Go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was saying, am I reading it right? But is, is this Mr. Bloom story in Batman that's coming up? Is that going to be a flashback story that happens to Bruce in the past? I don't know. I, it's it's hard to to know exactly what it is because it, it, the solicitation does say that this is dealing with the villain from Batman's past. So you know we're led to believe it has nothing to do necessarily with Robo Bat. Who knows? It's also worth noting that Jacques is on the is on the book for issue forty four of Batman instead of Greg Capullo leading to the speculation that something is coming in October, and maybe that is why a lot of guest artists are filling in on some of the books. Would make sense. I just cannot believe that they are bringing Velvet Tiger into the new 52, which I know is now the post-Flashpoint universe. But my good, like, terrible well, Stella, why character. Don't you, why don't you just tell everybody who Velvet Tiger is? Because I'm sure there's a plenty of people who don't, have no idea who that is. They just wait, huh? Yeah. yeah, I know. Well, Velvet Tiger, Velvet Tiger first appeared in Detective Comics 518 and 519. I mean, she had like a tiger getup. It basically looked like Tiger from Marvel, but it was an actual suit instead of, you know, body fur. And, uh, she and her brother were, you know, into some, some technological extortion hijinks. And, uh, but in the end, he sort of had, uh, misgivings about the whole thing. And then he went crazy and started saying, I'm going to, I'm going to cut out the evil in you. Cause you know, my darling little sister and then crisis happened. And then she reappears in Hawk and Dove. And it's this weird thing where she's actually a 10 year old little girl in this like 20, you know, four 25 ish body It's because she has this power to step into her own little time pocket and like, do different things so she can step into it. Our real time is frozen so she can like kill somebody, then step back and it's like nothing has ever happened. But because she had stayed there so long, she became very old, but she's really 10 years old, which is super bizarre and it doesn't make sense. And now there, you know, I've got to read about her again. I have no idea how they're going to do this. I'm a little saddened and perhaps at San Diego Comic Con, I will ask, why, why are you doing this? No, you know, ask. What's the allure of Velvet Tiger? But perhaps since it's a new universe, they will rectify some of the weird stuff that happened post-crisis. But that's basically Velvet Tiger in a nutshell. And some people actually do like her. So, you know, maybe it's just me, but she's she's a little strange. 
does seem odd that that's the character that they're bringing back. But hey, I guess that's the the end thing now. Take uh take crappy characters and then make them new and cool. So like Condom mm-hmm. King should be up any minute now. <laughs> you know what's really interesting is uh well real quick the there was a bunch of DC All Access videos that released just running through some of the ones that released. There's one regarding the Justice League of America's new villain. And there's another one talking about uh, Grayson and Batgirl, as well as one other one talking about a number of the new books. But uh, the Grayson and Batgirl one, uh, they, they interviewed Brandon, Brendan Fletcher, and he he spoke well, while I was listening to the video, because at this point I hadn't actually read the solicitations. I was listening to the interview, and he says, oh, we're going to bring back, uh, we're going to bring a character, a villain back from from Barbara's past, to, you know, reintroduce them into this, you know, to this current universe, you know, from pre-Flashpoint. And I was thinking to myself, oh, who is it going to be? Killer Moth? Oh, that would be cool because we haven't really seen that character since the beginning of the New 52. And then he says Velvet Tiger, and I was just like, wait, what? What? That's the character? Of all the characters from Barbara's past, that's the one you choose to bring? But it is what it is. I don't get this one at all. But, hey, watch, it'll be the coolest character in the history of the world now. <laughs> yeah, and if you are a variant cover fanatic, and you must have all the variant covers, uh, keep in mind September, the theme for September is Green Lantern's 75th anniversary, so you will be seeing Green Lantern on a lot of the variant covers. Now, I'm still waiting for them to, you know, say something about Robin 75th variant covers. That hasn't happened yet. I'm hoping, I don't think it's going to happen in October, but I imagine... We still have November and December left for them to do that, but hopefully we're going to see Robin variant covers because, I mean, honestly, some of these characters that have been getting, I mean, no offense to Harley Quinn, but she's, she's, she, she pops up on the covers, all the, the variants all the time. And we still haven't seen Robin variant covers for the 75th. Also in variant cover news on June 24th, DC revealed that they are going to have a bunch of exclusive variant covers specifically for Comic-Con International. Um, so if you are in attendance at Comic-Con, you can get your hands on variant covers of Batman number 41, Batman Beyond number one, Robin Son of Batman number one, Harley Quinn number 17, Black Canary number one, Midnighter number one, Justice League number 41, and Justice League of America number one. So, there's a, there's also some other ones. Those are obviously the ones we're mentioning because they're part of the Batman universe. We have a gallery up on the website for you to check out the entire slew of the variant covers. Realistically, there's not a whole lot going on with a lot of these variant covers. For some of them, they've taken the exclusive swag that we talked about a while ago and they basically have made the swag in as part of the covers. So the Harley Quinn mask is now basically a white page with the Harley Quinn mask hmm. graphic on the cover. Black Canary is the touring poster with dates mentioned for San Diego. Um, and then some of the other ones are just basically color variations of the original post or the original covers. So if you want to check those out, check those out. If you are a variant cover freak and you want to have these, you're going to have to figure out some way of either getting to San Diego or convincing someone to buy those for you because they're only going to be available there. Now, that's not to say that there won't be, obviously, the, you know, wonderful second market retailers who will purchase a bunch of them and then sell them at the New York Comic Con or some other cons as we have seen multiple times in the past. Not speaking no, of I got experience in any way. 
I have a question. You're a variant cover collector. We all know that, right? Yes. Like, do you think that they've that they've taken the variant covers too far? Because I remember when variants used to be like a couple times a year, a title would get a variant, and now every month there's multiple variants of almost every single comic. Do you think that's going too far? It's gone way too far. I mean, the thing was, I agree. Even back when the New Fifty Two started, there was maybe every once in a while you, or even before the New Fifty Two, there was every once in a while you would get. If there was like a new number one, Batman Incorporated or even Batman, they would do these weird things where they would do one in 100 covers. Now, I've talked about this before. One in 100 covers, if you are a completist like myself, they're very difficult to get and they're very expensive because basically they will charge you out the rear end to get those variant covers. When I'm talking about they, I'm referring to the second market retailers. But, uh, the other part of it is, ever since they started the the theme variant covers, most of those most of the time those covers aren't any additional money. Um, like when they do the themes with like Green Lantern or Harley Quinn or a couple months ago is the Flash or those movie ones, they're the same price. It's just a different cover. They have them for the exact same cover price at at the thing, but they're not worth any more because of that. But then on the other hand, they have ones that are still you know the one in tens, one in twenty fives. You see that a lot with Batman. You see that actually all, almost all the time with Batman, um, where the variant covers, the 1 in 10s or the 1 in 25 covers, those are the ones that are worth a little bit more and you have to pay a little bit more for them. But those aren't as common at all. Now, I do think that they have gone way, way out of control with the amount of covers that they put out. It seems almost counterintuitive unless they're just trying to fluff the numbers by having people buy more than one copy of a issue, which I find kind of annoying. But I don't know. I, you know, it's it's not something that obviously is, is new at all. I mean, Marvel's done it, DC's done it, you know, in, in various different stages. So I mean, it just feels like it's just overkill. Yeah, I think the same thing too. I was thinking that because I was looking at how there's every single one's got like multiple variants now. And I just and I wish they'd go back to just like you said, just doing them for Special issues, number one, the character's death, some major return, but every month I think they kind of lose their, uh, lose their luster. Well, I think, well, I think it is that they lose their luster, but I also think it is when people see multiple covers, I wonder if they're, if, if like the marketing machine that is DC is thinking to themselves, well, maybe they'll think it's two different issues and they'll just buy both, which I would hope that's not the case, even though they have the same number on them. But I, I don't understand what the thought process that goes behind that is. I mean, honestly, how do you get real realistic number of how many individual people are actually reading the book if you're releasing variant covers, which could potentially have one person buying two copies? You know what I'm saying? Like, there's oh, yeah. no way to get a realistic number of how many people are actually reading your book when you have multiple covers out there. Yeah, and when it used to be, like you said, the 1 in 100 covers, they were so rare that there was n- nothing on the sales numbers. But I think that the the character covers are like 1 in 10. Yeah. I mean, so, yeah, it's uh, it's a bit of a mess. I just I just wish they, they'd stop it, kind of. <laughs> All right, so the last bit of news we have comes on also on June 24th. DC Entertainment announced their slew of what they have planned for Comic-Con International in San Diego. So. The press release is on the website, just kind of rolling through some of the stuff that I noticed that's worth mentioning. There's a couple of different things that they they mentioned. The first one is they talked about how there's going to be a bunch of the new creators with the new directions that are happening, where they will be 
focusing on a lot of the new directions, but also focusing on specific, it's kind of interesting because normally you'll have like the Batman panel, the Superman panel, the Justice League panel. You'll have these panels and they'll be focused around the books in that area. So Batman would cover, you know, everything we cover here normally. But the way they have their panel set up, it's actually a little bit different. Uh, Thursday, there's a panel called Mysteries in Space, which I would assume would be regarding Green Lantern stuff. Uh, then on Friday is Superman, Justice for All, and the Bad Guys. But the Bad Guys, I feel, would be like possibly Harley Quinn, Lobo, you know, Midnighter. Some of these characters who are, you know, not necessarily, you know, could could be just labeled a bad guy and that's it. Um, on Saturday, we have the lighter side, which I would assume would be like Starfire, Harley Quinn, Batmite. Um, we also have the Batman f- panel that says it's that Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo are both supposed to be there. And then there's a panel called The Upstarts, featuring the most cutting-edge writers and artists in the industry, which I'm wondering if it's the most cutting-edge writers and artists or if it's the new creative t- creators that are, you know, working on some of the projects on DC. Doesn't it doesn't say for 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 spe- specifically? Um, there's also a there's going to be something regarding the multiversity. Um, Grant Morrison is going to be there, and he's going to be talking about about the you know the entire multiversity and beyond. Um, that's going to be on Saturday. Justice League is going to have a panel with Jeff Johns talking about. Everything regarding Earth One to Dark Side War and all things in between. It's more of a focus point on Jeff Johns. Um, then there's a whole panel dealing with the DC Entertainment. It's called Page to Screen. And it's talking about DC film, TV, game, and animation slates. And it's, it has uh, a number of people like Jeff Johns, Mark Guggenheim, Andrew Kreisenberg, Heath Corison, and more. Uh, a lot of those guys are attached to some of the DC shows on the CW. There's a Vertigo panel, a Mad panel, and then there's DC Collectibles has their own panel as well on Thursday. So nothing really out of the ordinary when it comes to stuff. I, they're kind of mixing up some of their panels to split up, I think, some of the characters because I don't know that people who are necessarily reading Batman want to necessarily go in-depth about Harley Quinn or Batmite because, you know, they're a different kind of they're a different kind of book, which is the whole reason behind, you know, the whole thing behind this new direction that they've done in June. So not a whole lot of news. I mean, it just means there's going to be more panels for us to cover at San Diego this year. I don't know. Your comment about certain people not wanting to see Harley Quinn. I don't think that's true. I think apparently everyone wants to see Harley Quinn. You can put that well, in every panel. That, yeah, I suppose so. That's probably why I mean, and that's, I wouldn't doubt if she's part of not only the bad guys panel, but the lighter side panel, as well as the Batman panel. Honestly, I wouldn't doubt if they, you know, didn't, I would doubt it very highly if they did not have her make an appearance in all three of those panels. Yeah, I agree. All right. So with that, that is actually all of the news. Um, there, there really wasn't a whole lot. And I'm sure, you know, the next time we talk, in a couple weeks, there's going to be a lot more to talk about because we'll be talking about San Diego. But uh, as I said, we have no specific reviews, so let's get straight into our TV spotlight. First things first, uh, as far as the digital books that have been released, uh, Batman 66, number 24, which includes digital chapters number 60 and 61, was reviewed by Gary. He gave it four out of five batterings. Check that one out. So then let's dive into some of the other books. First up, 
Robin, Son of Batman number one. Viewed by Ryan, he gave it a total of three and a half out of five. So, Robin, Son of Batman. What do we have to say about this? Uh, well, the, the first things first is there's, it's very difficult to understand exactly when this is happening because again, it seems as if everything that refers to Damien is happening out of continuity. But, uh, I did, I did, uh, read something online talking about how this could potentially take place after, it obviously takes place after Batman and Robin. But it could still take place before Batman Eternal, which would explain Robin's disappearance and why he wasn't around in Eternal, other than just chalking him up to Scott Snyder doesn't like the character. Um, so the basic gist of this is Robin now has a creature called Goliath that he basically, it's like his henchman. I guess there's, there's not really a way to put it other than that. Um, but Damien is, He's, he's, he's training and he's busy in the back cave. He, refi- he receives a f- call from someone who says that the Goliath, his Goliath is loose and he goes to basically s- to, to save it. We get a hint at the no, the mask of nobody seen from way, way back at the very beginning of Batman Robin, um, leading us to believe that that character could be making a return. Um, there's a dream, dream sequence where Damien deals with the empty graves of himself and his mother, and he talks to Dick Grayson about his death. Um, we know that uh, Damien, he goes to the Al Ghul Island, and he basically, someone's there who says, you know, Goliath, you know, don't, Goliath is basically a giant were-man bat. Uh, Damien does not like that and tells him to take it out. Uh, at the end of the issue, Tali Al Ghul is being attacked by an unknown, unknown foe, but at the last moment, she suddenly recognizes her foe and starts to recall her memories. So, Robin, son of Batman, what'd you guys think? I like this one. Um, I thought the art was really good. Um, and this, this issue is going to suffer from what a lot of issues that we've talked about this month and probably this episode are, which is number ones have like a checklist of things you have to do. You know, introduce the new back characters, you know, introduce the general setting of the book, introduce the general tone of the book. Um, and I think that that's why some number ones suffer. Um, I think this book has all of that, but, um, I kind of like the way this one set up and I'm looking forward to reading it and I'm glad Damien has his own title. As far as where it goes, I did think it was kind of conspicuous that we never got anything like, Hey, my dad's dead. You know, mm-hmm. um, I, I was expecting really when I dove into this book that we have a lot of Damien angsty over the death of Bruce. But since we didn't see it, it does absolutely leave the uh, timing of the book up in the air. Which, which because of that, I wonder if this happens in some sort of weird time before end game occurs, since that wasn't mentioned at all. Uh, and it's just like this moment where he leaves for, you know, I don't know, a few days, but it's going to be drawn out. So it's longer. Um, was this the same island? Cause it's sort of, they called it Al Ghul Island, right? But was it the same island that he dropped off, uh, the clone? I don't think so. Okay. Cause that kind of had monsters on it. And I wondered, yeah. oh wow, is he gonna, is he gonna pop up again? But the nobody that pops up, it looks like now there's a, there's a child involved, uh, that nobody had. So, so this should be interesting because if Batman's gone and, you know, the original Ducard is gone, now we have sort of the, their children battling it out. So I think that could potentially be interesting. And I was wondering, as I was reading this, I'm like, are we going to get to Talia? And 
there, in fact, is is Talia picking up. So it's got to be still somewhat in continuity with what was going on with Batman and Robin. So I'm glad that someone that was along for that duration is still here, you know, with Patrick Gleason. And I'm also wondering if the Batman 666, if that is somewhere in this, because the year of blood is obviously dealing with his training that he underwent with the Al Ghouls. But I wonder if, you know, we're going to get to that again and see what what's happening. But uh, yeah, it was, I don't think it was the strongest number one, but it is good to see Robin, uh, Damian Wayne still in existence. All right. So let's move into Batgirl number 41. Stella, you want to talk about that? Sure. Uh, Batgirl 41, basically, you know, she's recovering from what had happened with, with digital Batgirl. And now Frankie's with her as a cohort. Um, we're dancing around the issue that she is either, you know, proxy or oracle, but the words never come out. Every time she's about to say it, she's cut off. And the first case basically post uh, digital backroll, um, there's this cult that's actually worshiping uh, the Digibabs as I like to call her. And uh, they're trying to resurrect her, but they end up resurrecting or somehow gaining Livewire. And so in the process of Livewire coming, uh, RoboBats, a.k.a. Jim Gordon, comes to Burnside. And so he's going after Livewire, but then when she leaves, he turns around and says, Batgirl, you're under arrest. So then we have a father-daughter moment where she's very shocked to see this young guy without a mustache and really wants a mustache back. And he actually confesses to her he tells her, which is very interesting since apparently Bullock doesn't know, he tells her that he is in fact the new Batman. And she is on the cusp of confessing that she's Batgirl, but then he continues on and says, I'm going to take down all the vigilantes that ran around with Batman because basically they shouldn't be out there doing that. So basically, if you were to think about it, it's almost like we're back to Batgirl Wanted from the Gail Simone run. Yeah. Uh, but I'm hoping that it goes in, in another direction. But it's, it's a little, I mean, first it was Batgirl killed James Jordan. So James Gordon. So her father's coming after her. And now it's like they're still on opposite ends of the, of the line. So I'm not really sure, but Livewire's still messing around. But I think the biggest conflict is the fact that, uh, Jim and is once again going after Batgirl, and I don't know how it's going to be solved. So there you go. I thought overall this was a good issue. It was nice to see the father daughter moments because, you know, we've, as much as we know the impending, they're going to be going against each other once they mm-hmm. get into their suits. The father daughter moments, we didn't, we haven't really seen that many of them in the series from the very beginning of the New 52. So it's nice to see that happening, even though we know something is going to happen when they get into their suits. So I, I thought it was enjoyable. I mean, I, I guess I'm, I'm kind of interested in seeing what, you know, how Livewire has worked into the story. I'm wondering if Livewire is just kind of going to be this background character, you know, not character, but this background element that's happening in the story just to have something else going on but it's Mm -hmm. not really going to be a main focus. That's just how I felt with this. Yeah, I think that's exactly what she is. I think that they want to tell a, you know, Babs and her dad story, and that's totally fine. Um, And I think you need a villain. So this is, it's Livewire, who's going to be playing the background thing. Um, I really like this issue. I thought the scene with, you know, at the Ferris wheel at the park with, with Jim and Babs was very good because 
you're reading it and you're, you're, you're quietly going, come on, just tell him. He's telling you, just tell him, you know, like, you, and she doesn't, of course. And that leads to the very interesting fight scene standoff at the end, um, where you see that you have, she knows it's her dad inside the suit. She, he doesn't know it's her. Um, and that's always an interesting component is when one person knows who they're fighting and the other person th- doesn't. Um, so I, I really like this one. Uh, the tone of the book stays good and I like it quite a bit. How, how, how do you think though that, how can she tell him that she's Batgirl and him like not go after her still? Because then it'll be like, well, there's one vigilante that he won't go after and that's Batgirl. And then that's going to seem a little fishy. So I don't know if there's any way. But are we actually going to see him going after any of the other vigilantes? Who's really still in Gotham that he could really go after? I mean, Tim Drake is. Well, can he pop? I imagine he's going to pop up and we are Robin. There are five different Robins running around. At some point, he's going to come in there. Well, we would, uh, well, I guess, I, I, I mean, it's entirely possible, but there, but he does say that he's going after the vigilantes that were running with Batman. I mean, I don't know how much of an effect the characters in, uh, We Are Robin are really going to be doing. I, I, I just, I, I feel like they're, 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 whatchamacallit, uh, they're, tertiary? They're, well, their, their effect on Gotham is not really going to be the, quite the equivalent of somebody like, Nightwing, Grace, uh, you know, Nightwing or Bar- Batgirl or Robin. I just don't feel like it's going to be the same. So, but 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 which ones are really running around in Gotham anymore? I mean, Batgirl's in Burnside. Like, no, I know that, but outside of Batgirl, who's in Burnside, there's really nobody. Grace is not there. Tim Drake is currently in Chicago in Teen Titans. So I mean, spoiler, Batwoman. Weren't they the ones we saw in Batman Forty? Like, I mean, I'm just throwing it. Yes, that, no, that's true. I mean, who knows if we'll actually ever see, you know, them pop up. You know, spoilers supposed to pop up in Catwoman, but like, Catwoman's not part of, you know, she's not a vigilante. I mean, she's basically a criminal at this point. So, at least as far as Gordon would be concerned, Robin is, you know, Damien Robin is, is who knows where in as far as the timeline goes. Grayson's dead. So I mean, like, there's there is nobody else in Gotham, and Batwoman and Spoiler are probably the only other ones that exist right now, and maybe Bluebird, but we don't know where those characters are or how they're going to play into things. But I get this odd suspicion that outside of maybe Catwoman, we're not going to see Spoiler, Bluebird, or Batwoman popping up anytime soon. Probably not, but uh, I don't know. I, I thought that this was just. I don't think we're going to see him hunting down any other vigilantes, but I, 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 this is going to sound weird, terrible. I just want him to, to have the moment. I really don't care about how the, the plot kind of revolves after that. I mean, if he doesn't arrest his, his daughter, that's fine. I can live with that. Um, but I think she's gonna, he's gonna have to figure it out, right? In the next issue or so. And I he's would supposed hope to be the, so. one of the great, I mean, he's supposed to be like a great detective. And well, I've always that, thought, that, well, that's kind of the only, the, the, the thing joke, that's always right? happened. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's supposed to be this great detective, but he can't figure it out. But, alright, so over on the website, Don reviewed it and he gave it 4 out of 5, so let's move into our next one. The next one we're going to cover is Gracie number 9, this one was reviewed by Corbin, he gave it 4 out of 5. So basically what's happened in this issue was Dick has a new partner, it's no longer Helena because Helena, if you remember from Gracie number 8, um, she is the head of Spiral after Mr. Minos is, has been killed. Uh, Grayson is now teamed with agent number one, who also, if you remember, he, Dick was kind of wrapped up in the agent number one's partner being killed in the very early issues of Grayson. 
Um, the there's a lot of different things going on in the book. Uh, Spiral is being super concerned because Checkmate is going to start getting involved because someone's been killing a bunch of the spies from Spiral, and Checkmate is basically knocking on the do- door. Uh, Checkmate, who looks to have King Faraday in charge, and Grifter also happens to be on the team, um, are looking into what is going on with Spiral. Um, basically, that's the gist of what happened. I mean, there's, there's, uh, there's a murder that takes place. Um, there's a, basically a, I, 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 I don't want to really call him a faux Grayson, but somebody who's pretending to be Grayson and using a scream of sticks to kill people and people are popping up dead all over the place and people are starting to wonder if, if, uh, Dick Grayson is actually involved with this, even though Helena's, Helena is convinced that there's no way it could be him killing these people. Uh, Agent Dick actually believes it's actually Agent Number One. He turns him over to the authorities, and someone actually the fake Grayson person comes out to attack Agent Number One, proving that it wasn't in fact Agent Number One. So that's the gist of what's going on in Grayson. Any thoughts? It seems to me like, and I might be wrong about this, but if you look at the future solicitations and kind of where the book is going, it looks to me like this is, they're kind of wrapping up him and the whole spiral Dick Grayson spy thing and, and just wrapping up everything so they can bring it back into Gotham City. That's what, it's kind of what I got the feeling from at least. Not that it's bad, but I just think that's what they're doing. Yeah. And I, and I think that is the case. I mean, honestly, it feels like there is not, this was never meant to be a long, long story. I, in my opinion, I just, I don't feel like it was ever supposed to be something that lasted very long. Um, now, the funny thing was there was a one of the there was a chat session that DC had with the creators behind Grayson with Tom King, Tim Seeley, and Mikkel Jenin. Um, we retweeted a couple different things that were brought up on the uh, on our Twitter page. If you have been following us, um, one of the th- a couple of the different things was that that we retweeted was uh, someone asked, uh, "Will Grayson ever become Nightwing again?" And they answered, "In my mind, he never stopped becoming Nightwing. Grayson is Nightwing undercover, saving the world as best as he can." Um, then there was another question that was asked. It said, uh, "Will we see a Bat Family team up anytime soon?" He and then they replied, "I can't say or they kill me, but the cover to number twelve might talk, and I think it's out there somewhere." Um, so if you saw the cover to number 12, which was part of the solicitations that just released, uh, Grayson is on a bike heading towards Gotham City, and you see a number of the Bat family members kind of just drawn as part of the sky with Alfred, Batgirl, Red Hood, Tim Drake, and Damien. So something's happening here. I mean, obviously, Dick is coming to Gotham City, which why would he be coming to Gotham City unless he really is is going to be done with Spiral because he's going to end up, someone's going to find out. We also know that the Batgirl, uh, in Batgirl, he's going to be popping up soon too. So it's only a matter of time. I mean, like. It gigs up, yeah. The, the, the plus side is that every, because everyone thinks that Bruce is dead, we won't be seeing this angsty family. Bruce, you lied to us yet again. Um, as we saw, you know, with the end of Death of the Family. So, you know, it is what it is. I, I, as far as this issue, you know, it's, it's a nice jumping on point and, you know, you don't necessarily have to know everything that just happened, which I have to say a lot of the books that are continuing stories, they did a really good job this month of making sure that there was nice jumping on points, uh, 
there was one book that we'll get to in a little bit that I didn't feel did a very good job of that, but the uh, the majority of the books that came out this month that already had stories existing before Convergence did a very good job of making sure that their books were easy to jump on. So props to all of the books who were able to do that. Grayson is, in fact, one of those books. And, I, I you know, I was very hesitant with the idea of what Grayson was with him being a spy. But so far, everything that's happened, I mean, it's just one of those things where it's like, you probably are sitting there thinking to yourself, really, this is the story they're telling? But it's actually a decent story. Nothing's happened in this book that I've really been like, this is horrible. So, you know, it's it's, it's just a good story. Dick Grayson just happens to be a spy. So if you haven't checked it out, check it out. All right, so next up we have Black Canary, number one. It was reviewed by Corbin over on the website. He gave it four out of five. So you want to talk about Black Canary? Yeah, Black Canary uh, basically picks up where Batgirl number 40 leaves off for Dinah, where she's going off with the band. The band is no longer Ashes on Sunday, but is now called Black Canary. And Dinah goes by the stage name DD. People don't really know what that means. And then you have Paloma Terrific, uh, Lord Byron, and then this kid, Ditto. And basically, they're going on tour, and the bad thing that's happening is that during their performances, stuff is going on, like bad things. Girls are getting violently hit on or, uh, I, well, I guess that's more like sexually assaulted and all of this weird stuff. So then Dinah, because she's Dinah, of course, she's stopping the show and attacking people and they're not really getting paid because she's also messing up the, the, the actual place, the, the venue. There we go. The venue that they're playing at. And at, at one point, um, I believe it's Lord Byron, ends up talking to her and asking, you know, what's going on. They don't really know about her past, about the Team 7 stuff or the Birds of Prey stuff or her husband. So it's very much a blank camp, a blank canvas for Dinah, which is a good – that's good for people who have not read her in any of the New 52. I think it was a good starting on point for her. So she ends up saying, I promise to stop doing what this is. So they go to the next gig, and they, they make it through four songs, but on the fifth – uh, ditto this kid who's like a child prodigy on the guitar something with the sound waves creates some i don't know these three people that look like assassins or g-men turn into kind of scary black blobby looking things and donna thought she was they were coming after her but actually it turns out they're coming after ditto so of course the uh the gig goes sour once again. And uh, so now there's a mystery, you know, what's going on? Who is this Ditto? Ditto doesn't really talk, so you don't know too much about her. But uh, Dinah has decided that she's going to train her band as well so they can protect each other. And they go off, and on the tour bus, you see three more of these little black things, little venoms, I guess, uh, riding on. So it's basically, you know, they're going to be touring, but I think a lot of violent hijinks are going to be happening. But it was a great starting point. I think, like I said, for anyone who didn't really know her past in the New 52, it was good because she's not telling anyone about it. So you're kind of on the same page as her and her bandmates. And it's something that you would not expect Black Canary. When you think of Black Canary, I think you think of, you know, Green Arrow and her being in uh, the Justice League. She was, you know, the leader at one point. But this is very different, and I like it. And uh, the, uh, oh, Heathcliff is actually kind of, I think he's the manager so it seemed and Heathcliff was actually from Gotham Academy so I guess he graduated and he's doing this as a job but the art is great and uh, it's fun it's fun and it's a mystery but 
you know, it's a, it's very different. I think it's very different from anything that we've got out there right now in, in DC. Yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed it. And one of the things that I actually liked, which was probably more surprising than anything else, was the actual art. Um, mm-hmm. Again, not my typical type of art that I like, but again, it's different and it's refreshing because it's different. So, you know, the story by itself, I mean, it's it sets a lot of things up. Like you said, Stella, it's, you know, it's a blank canvas. You know, you don't have to know all of the giant back history that Black Canary has within the New 52 because there's a lot of it. And a lot of people mm-hmm. don't probably realize how much there is because of how many different books she's appeared in since the beginning of the New 52. So the fact that they just basically have this, she basically gets this fresh start because she's with a bunch of people that she, you know, hasn't really... You know, they don't know anything about her. It's really smart. It's a really smart thing to do because you don't have to know anything about the character. You could, this could be the first time you've ever seen this character ever before. And it's just an enjoyable book. So good, good book. Yeah. Um, I'm just basically up to co-sign whenever it's said it's a good book and the art is, especially the color palette of the art in this is just, it's super cool. And. Uh, I hope that this one goes on for a while. I'd hate to see this one cancel after a short run because I think it could be something really nice. All right. So next up we have We Are Robin, number one. This one was reviewed by Ryan. He gave it three and a half out of five. All right. So this one is basically the story of Duke Thomas without it being specifically about Duke Thomas. But this issue deals with Duke Thomas and how everything's been kind of horrible since the end of Endgame because he's lost contact with his parents and he thinks his parents are dead. Um, basically he keeps searching and he f- gets bounced from foster home to foster home until he lands under the guidance of Leslie Tompkins. Um, after he gets brought, after he gets beat up and brought in by the cops and transferred to a new home, he runs away again looking for his parents in the underground, but he basically has no idea that he's been being watched by this Robin group who takes interest in him because he's had direct contact with Batman. Uh, Duke is in the underground and he comes, he finds some, he finds a guy who's clearly planning something horrible for the city. Somebody spots Duke and he has to run, but he's rescued by the groups, the group of kids who are all ready to run. Um, at the end, we find out someone is watching everything going on with some, some sort of robot bats. Um, we have no idea who it exactly is, but it could be anybody. I mean, it could be Bruce Wayne, it could be somebody else, so... That's uh, the basic gist of what happened in We Are Robin. Um, you know, again, this is one of those books where I had no idea what to expect. You know, the the idea of them saying, you know, this is the youth movement. We're doing a youth movement title. It's it's you know, that doesn't mean anything to me. I guess I'm no longer part of that youth movement that you know they refer to when they say that kind of stuff. But nonetheless, you know, this is. You know, it, it was interesting. I don't know how long something like this could last. This is one of those titles where it's it's interesting, but it feels like it has an expiration date similar to the way Grayson has. Um, I can't foresee them telling a story about this the, this group without someone eventually coming. Like when we were talking about Batgirl, you know, eventually someone they're gonna someone's gonna take notice that there's a bunch of kids dress you know dressing up with you know dressing up in the style of Robin. And beating up people on the streets and are going to take notice to that. And I would assume that if Jim Gordon's going after Batgirl, he's eventually going to have to go after these people. But I don't know how far these people are below the radar at this point. So I feel like this has an expiration date. I don't know how long it will last. For right now, I'm along for the ride to see how it goes. 
Yeah, I think that if I had to mark this book, it'd be incomplete. I don't think we get enough out of the first issue to make a real judgment about where it's going. Again, it's an introduction of a lot of characters. It's an interesting concept. Um, I'm more than glad to, to read it and see where it goes, but I can't see this group going on any longer than when Bruce Wayne comes back at the very least, because I don't think he'd be down with us. But, uh, I definitely can see that the, 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 um, the youth movement push here, uh, which is like Dustin said, is probably hitting just below our age groups. But, um, I can see where this, there could be a, a, a group of people that would really enjoy this book. Probably not me. Again, it's not terrible. It's just not, I'm just not quite sure what we're getting at. And I feel like this is almost the road not taken, uh, for Bruce Wayne that perhaps the writers, um, are looking at, you know, what would have happened? What if this would have been the, you know, Bruce Wayne had no idea if his parents were alive or dead yet. And sort of they were in this, he was in this midst of turmoil and didn't have a hearty a foundation with, with Alfred there protecting him and, you know, what would happen. And I feel like that is very much where Duke is, just that his life is in flux and he's, I mean, he's being bounced from foster home to foster home. So there is no status quo for him. And it seems like he's very troubled. And I wonder how, I guess it's been a couple months, right? I'm sure they gave the, same, the exact number, but it just seems like he spiraled out of control very quickly. You know, now that he's in drugs, which was like the, the only thing that was very much put off on because I thought, are we really going to this extreme that he's like really in this bad situation? Whereas I could have seen him really looking and trying to find his parents, but, um, I'm hopeful that like through meeting these other kids, perhaps creating a network, I don't know if he's going to find his parents. I'm sure that's like the long end mystery of will he ever find them? And perhaps at one time they will, they'll finally cut the cord and say, yes, they're dead. But, uh, hopefully we'll be able to see him grow in, in new directions. So I, I agree with you that I think this first issue, we're setting stuff up. It wasn't the, you really want number one issues, especially of a new series, to really hit it out of the park and really get you interested for more. And there were only certain moments that I thought, oh, this could be interesting. Like Leslie Tompkins and his relationship, I thought, oh, that's good. So we, there's lots of things to explore and hopefully, hopefully it'll, it'll continue on. What was that other book that I really wanted to continue? Oh, it was, um, Batwing. That was the other, yeah. that was, uh, I remember when it first started, I was like, maybe it'll keep going. But everyone else on this show is like, no, no. But perhaps this has a, you know, a, um, an expiration date on it. And it really comes down to, I think, how we're involving this in the, in the actual Batman universe. And I feel like since they had mentioned Endgame, it's gotta be in the little continuity bubble. Um, but again, yeah, if you've got these people running around, can you, how long can you outlast Batman? There is an Asian in there. Any chances that's Cassandra Cain or is that sort of pushing no, our luck? Okay. I think that's pushing our luck. Okay. That'd be great. Really, but... No, no, I don't really think it would be great if that was the case because in any, if anything, it would just kind of be like throwing the character in there with no purpose. And I don't feel like that would be mm-hmm. the right thing to do at this point. But all right. So the next one we've got is Gotham by Midnight. This was reviewed by Jim. He gave it a total of four and a half out of five. The basic gist of this issue is that after dealing with the death of Sister Justine from issue number five, uh, they're at a funeral and they get a phone call. They have to deal with a case at the Powers Corporation. That's right, the same Powers Corporation that Gordon is sitting inside the suit that was created by them. Um, they have to go investigate a uh, something that's happening. They have some sort of uh, technology that's called the Power Watch. Um, 
picture Apple Watch type thing. And when they, they were working on some last minute deliverables, when they found blood everywhere and the machines all went crazy, and one of the team leads started choking. Uh, when they got to the hospital, they found a chunk of a human heart in his throat. Yeah. Um, basically, uh, Lisa Drake and Jim Corrigan, who are partners, uh, they feel that something horrible has happened and they're going to investigate. The person who they are linked up with at Powers Corporation says that is it is a ghost. Um, back at the precinct, Dr. Tar is meeting with the lieutenant, and the lawyer is coming to meet with Tar because of internal affairs is building a case against the midnight shift for some of the stuff that happened in the previous story arc. The Tar is studying a black flower uh, that was found when Justine died, and it appears to have some sort of nervous system. Uh, later on in the story, Tar cuts a petal of the flower off, and while his back is turned, the petal grows back instantaneously. Um, back at the Powers Corporation, we find out that there was a death of a worker called George Woolley. He was he had a stroke on the job, and it turns out that the person who you know was the the contact, the liaison between GCPD and Powers Corporation. Uh, he actually was in charge of the entire division, and he provided speed to his workers to make sure that they could meet the deadlines that they needed to. Uh, this this person, George, took the speed, ended up having a heart condition, and died. Um, they fixed the medical records so that they, in turn, could make sure that uh, they weren't held accountable. And once uh, they figured this all out, Wooly's ghost grabs... This Jenner character, who's the guy who works at uh, Powers Corporation, and Jenner admits what he did, and that's pretty much the end. Um, the, the very end of the issue, Tar meets with the lawyer, who happens to be Kate Spencer. For those of you who don't know, Kate yeah. Spencer is, well, not, not maybe not now, but was pre-New 52 Manhunter. Mm-hmm. So, that's that. So, overall, I thought, I mean, overall, I thought this was a good issue. I mean, the... They're doing, they're doing a really good job of making sure that there's plenty of stuff going on, still loosely connected to everything else that's going on in the universe, like the fact that they're dealing with an investigation at the Powers Corporation. Even though the Powers Corporation or Powers International, depending on which book you're reading, the company's called different things, regardless of the fact that there is, you know, that, that, uh, the Powers Corporation was never brought up before this Scott Snyder story. <laughs> Suddenly he's popping up in a bunch of different books, including this one, and it's just interesting to kind of have this complete side story to the main group of things, but still, you know, still deal with this, this spooky element with the ghost and the blood all over stuff. It's interesting. Um, you know, I said this before when, when this book was first announced way back in November was not looking forward to something like this because it's not something that's up my alley. I'm not really, I don't really enjoy horror stuff. I don't really, I'm not really interested in spooky elements and that kind of stuff. But this, they, they've been doing a good job of telling a unique story despite the fact that it has that stuff that I'm not a big fan of. So props to them for doing that. I like it. Um, the art stays in this kind of weird form that it has taken here, which is unique and fun. Uh, the story is cool. I, I do think that 
you know, there's some characters that, that could find their home in this book eventually if this book stays around. Batwomans, Batwings could become permanent mm-hmm. fixtures in, in this book. I think they would fit with the tone. Um, but I'm just enjoying this because I, I just, I can't see this one going on much past like issue 12 to 15 or so, but I really like it and I hope it stays around. And, and I think what, what we would all agree on is that this is, uh, this has been done much better than the spooky, uh, macabre elements that were done in Eternal. And I think that this yes. is the way to oh, do yeah. it. Oh, yeah, yeah, rather than entwining it in a story. And that's what I hope, you know, if we do another Eternal, then why not have this on the side that is running parallel to it? But, you know, we have these tertiary characters doing things that Eternal 2 is doing, but not mixing it. I think, you know, they do it. And it's funny because when I opened it up, I thought to myself, man, I I actually, I missed this book. For those two months that we were doing, well, that you guys are doing Convergence, um, Mm -hmm. I I missed this one and I I missed those characters and I remembered about Justine. I thought, oh, how sad. But I, I don't know. I disagree with you that this has an expiration date because I think we've only started to scrape the surface on character histories and we just started to get to know more about Drake. And, you know, bringing in Manhunter, which I thought, oh, my gosh, when they said Kate Spencer, I thought, oh, this could be really great, which I'm sure she's going to be, you know, like a side character that may pop in to help him out, kind of like Matt Murdock pops in to help other heroes out from time to time since she's a lawyer. But, I, you know, I think exactly we can bring in other characters that we're not going to see anymore in their own books like Batwoman or potentially Batwing and, and yeah, see how they Bat- – Batwing yeah. is probably the biggest one because he actually yeah. has a direct connection to yep. – Jim Corey, yeah. exactly. he hasn't popped yeah. up yet. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I love the art. I, I think it really works well with what's going on. And, and I think these stories are, are fun. And see, this one was basically, you could almost say it was a one shot because the story was opened and closed. Yeah, the Power Corporation, I'm sure, will be a little thread that'll carry through. But they did a nice job with having this easy story. So it doesn't have to be arcs. And I think it, it works that way. And as for Dustin mentioning Powers Corporation, that was never mentioned. I think Powers now is going to be the penguin of 20. 15 where remember penguin was popping up <laughs> oh, everywhere oh. now powers is going to be popping up because they want to make it seem like it's been around it's been omnipresent and it's this big thing now so but it's interesting it drops in this book because now you're kind of mistrustful of it already and i think we already were somewhat you know this is a little hinky but now i think if we're starting to invest if this group of characters is starting to investigate it hopefully that bleeds over and maybe jim gordon will pop up in here who knows but i i really enjoy this book and again a different one something we can read if we're not into you know what else is going on so i hope it continues and and i don't see it having an expiration date anytime yeah, as far as the expiration date, I don't actually feel like it has an expiration date either. I feel like if they keep switching up the character, they could keep switching up the characters, keep Corrigan at the center of it, but there's a lot of different things that they could do. They could, like you said, bring in Batwing. I mean, Batwoman doesn't have a book at this point. Yep. She could be brought into it too because she was dealing with some of the supernatural stuff in her own book before it was canceled. So there's a bunch of different characters that they could bring into the book at some point and still have it work. So... I don't feel like it has an expiration date. I feel like it's not going to have the best sales just because of the type of book that it is. But if they keep switching up the, the, the roster or adding characters into it, I think it would keep it fresh enough, frequently enough so that, you know, people would, you know, that at least the people who are reading it keep reading it instead of it falling behind. So. Yeah, I, I, I want to clarify my comment there real fast. I don't think that it has an expiration date as far as the stories, just because of the sales on it are so low. I mean, it's below 20,000. Uh, it's, yeah. 
It's a, it's a, I think, I think that, that we should have a supernatural book. I thought Batwoman was going to be that, to be honest. Uh, but Gotham by Midnight is below 17,000 in sales, which is low, low. It is, that is real low because pretty much the cutting point is 20,000. Honestly, knowing that there could potentially be something coming in October, uh, some sort of event or some sort of new push, I honestly thought we were going to see some books that were going to be mentioned as their final issues were September. And I will admit that Gotham by Midnight was the first book that I checked on to see if it was going to have its final issue in September. It's not. So it's going to keep going. So, I mean, maybe, maybe what they're doing is they're not going to can't, I mean, well, at this point we know they're not canceling anything. They're not going to cancel anything in September. And then in October, maybe it's another, you know, like we talked about last, or like I mentioned last episode, the, you know, another fresh, group of books that are going to pop up in September and then lead that into, you know, maybe give this book until December or something to kind of pick up some steam or something. But I can understand your comment about the expiration date regarding sales, because it, it is something that a lot, I know a lot of people would be concerned about when they watch the sales numbers. Because if you look at it, just real, real quick aside, like the, the, the comics that are in the sales numbers that, because this one's last reported sales numbers, issue number five, right? The the comics around it are Red are Red Lanterns, Green Lantern, New Guardians. I mean everything that's been canceled. Yeah. You know, so unfortunately, it's in that magic window of bad sales. But it's not that I don't like the book or don't think it can continue. Yeah. All right. Next up, Harley Quinn and Power Girl number one, reviewed <laughs> by Gary. He gave it a total of four out of five. Now I'm just going to say this: I'm not even going to go to try to explain what happened in the book. If you are interested in reading the book. I will tell you that as we know, it takes place during this, this one panel in way back in Harley Quinn. Um, I'm not going to go into detail because it is so insane and crazy. It's not worth trying to decipher exactly and explain what happened. If you're interested in Harley Quinn, which I know there's a ton of people out there who are, this is another zany Harley Quinn book, but she's teamed up with Power Girl. Power Girl is going to potentially have some sort of relationship with some sort of guy who looks like he's a seventies disco bouncer. That's all I can. That's the only way I can really kind of put it. Um, there's lots of gags in it. Check out the review. Gary did a great job of making sure that there is plenty of synopsis for you to, to, to kind of understand at least somewhat of what happened in this book. So thoughts on Harley Quinn power group. One, I am extremely disappointed in our host lack of storytelling here. I, as soon as I read this book, my first thought was, I can't wait to hear Dustin try to describe what happened with this. So yes. that is extremely yeah. disappointing to me. Uh, it's, it's, it's cornball. It's goofy. Um, I like this considerably more than the recent issues of Harley Quinn. Not that I've disliked the recent issues of Harley Quinn, but I really did like this one. Uh, the planet of the seventies, it's very bizarre. Um, but funny, like there is some legitimately funny scenes there. Um, it's good. I really, I think that this was my favorite one, uh, of recent memory for the Harley Quinn stuff. And, and I'm really, again, this all happens in one panel, but, uh, from the original book, but, uh, this was cool. And I thought, I thought the fact that Power Girl played it straight as like almost no, not almost an incontinent, like a normal power girl, the straight character to all the crazy stuff coming on in the, in the kind of the comedy book was, was fun. And I actually really, really like this. And it's great to see Amanda Connor's name next to power girl again. Yeah. Cause that oh, means yeah. she had done it. So 
I think that's great as well. Uh, it was great. Yeah, it, it almost reminded me when, with that old alien looking character and then with the worms. But I don't know. I was just thinking, oh man, this is like Batman Odyssey. Um, oh. <laughs> oh no. It's, it's such a zany team to have Harley Quinn. Of course, you know, she uses, uh, power rolls like temporarily, um, poor mind state to say that hey i'm your psychic and so every third page she says how in the world are you my psychic but it's just funny to see those interactions where harley quinn is just acting as she is and, and power girl while she does have her fun is more of a serious person so uh interesting chemistry between those two to be sure all right so next up we have justice league of america number one ed you want to talk about that JLA number one. This is the definitive out of continuity on purpose JLA book that's out there. Um, it is long, by the way, for anyone that hasn't read it, it is uh-huh. over 50 pages. Um, so this is a long issue number one. Um, it, it's kind of centers around this kind of classic version of the Justice League of America, um, where Superman is, you know, gets this hidden note type deal and he finds a bunch of dead Supermen, which are from what I'm assuming is different, different universes. The JLA has this confrontation with, um, with Parasite in the book. Uh, and it really, there's a, there's a multiple, multiple page fight scene that, you know, involves all the classic JLA characters, Flash, Green Lantern, Wonder Woman, Cyborg, uh, Superman, Batman, of course, you know, all fighting Parasite. Batman's got some, some really, really good lines in it. Um, Aquaman is seen kind of messing around in Atlantis and there's this warning of a, of a real, of a prophet being there and a real God coming. Um, and then we have this kind of, you know, inevitable conclusion of the fight scene with Parasite. Um, but then at the end, the world kind of gets hacked and Roe shows up. This guy says, I am the great god Roe and I have come here to save you. Um, longtime fans of DC Comics will recognize Roe as a pre-post-crisis guy. Um, way back in the day, it was always kind of suggested that he was one of the gods of Kryptonian uh, lore and that the House of L, Superman's family, was direct descendants to him uh, as a god of, of the Kryptonians back in the day. I have no idea if they'll keep that from post-crisis, but that's where Rao came from. And that's JLA. And I just, you know, I want to see what you guys thought about this. They do keep, keep to the total classic version of, of the Justice League here. This is on purpose out of continuity, so we can live with that. Um, just what do you guys think of this? You know, it wasn't... It wasn't bad. I mean, the thing is, I wasn't really blown away by the story in any way. The ending and the reveal of Roy was kind of just like, okay, I mean, like, it's a story. It's a Justice League story. It's not bad, but I'm not getting that into it. Um, you know, I, I thought, you know, the, the art was great. You know, the, yeah, it really was. I, I mean, like, despite the fact that it was so long, some of those fight sequences were absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, Batman did have some great one-liners in the, in the issue, but just, I, I just don't feel that invested into it. I mean, like, and I don't know if it's just because I know it's not part of continuity or if it's just because it, it just is not, it's just generic Justice League stuff. I mean, like, don't get me wrong. A lot of times that's, that kind of stuff is happening in the main Justice League story by Jeff Johns because he's just telling Justice League stories, but it, there's still some sort of effect that you feel at least in some way, shape, or form throughout some of the other books. Not necessarily the Bat books, but some of the other books show repercussions from what happens. And because this book is just a story, we don't know, you know, well, we do know. We know that it's not going to necessarily have any kind of impact on any of the other books. So, like, 
you have to read this and really get a lot out of it and really just appreciate this story for what it is. And I just don't feel the appreciation because I just don't feel like I'm, I really care that much about it. I mean, nothing against the story by itself, but just in the larger scheme of things, it just doesn't feel like it's that interesting right now. Do you think that had to do with the page count, Dustin? Because I found myself at 50 pages, and it does seem like it's a little drawn out in the fight scene. Do you think that's because it, it was stretched to be so long that you kind of had like this, come on, let's go mentality? Well, it's, I, I think it's partially that. I think part of the reason why the fight scene was drawn out for so long was just to highlight the art a lot more than it probably needed to. I mean, if it it feels like the book it didn't necessarily have any sort of constraints to how long it, it would be or how long it should be. It was just tell your story, and if it ends up being this long, great, but just make it look amazing. I also feel like this book, right off the bat, I'll say it has an expiration date, because mm. what what are they really going to do with this? I mean, we know it's not out of, we know it's not part of continuity, right off the bat. We know that, you know, he's telling, they're telling a story in this book that does not have repercussions anywhere else, how long can this really last? I mean, like, I guess you could tell one story arc, one story, tell another completely different story, but what's to keep the same, you know, why is, why would Brian Hitch continue to stay on if this is the story he wants to tell? Did you see that Hitch's interview where he says he has seven arcs already planned out? Yes, I do, but That's I have amazing, a hard time. isn't it? Like, it is. Really? It is. But I wonder, <laughs> I, I have to wonder to myself, don't get me wrong now, if his seven arcs that he has planned if he has seven arcs planned and they all somehow intertwine into one large story, props to him. Props to him and just keep going. I don't know how long he's going to be able to do both the writing and the art because I have a hard time. Uh, reading. That's that's going to be seven arcs. Even at three issues apiece, that's almost two years. It's almost impossible to try to keep an artist doing both things. I, I'm also trying to figure out how Patrick Gleason is going to stay ahead or how far along it's going to be before he has to take a break. So it's one of those things where we see this all the time. An artist takes over writing responsibilities on a book and then their art, you know, suddenly the stuff that they're known for is not what's being featured in the book. It's their writing that's being featured and they find it, you know, fill an artist or whatever. But don't get me wrong. If this stays completely out of continuity as we know it should, and, you know, it just tells a, a unique story, fine. But the first issue, that ending, I didn't care anything about the ending. I, you know, I didn't know who the character was. I looked it up, read some of the stuff that he was previously in, and was just like, I still don't really care about who this character is. I think the best part was honestly for me, the, um, the parasite fight with that whole thing going on. And I know that was just like basically a distraction for, the other stuff that's going on with Infinity Inc. But I just thought this is the kind of, you know, Justice League story that I want to read. I think that, I don't know, I feel like the best ones are where there is action and there may be some sort of mystery in it, but it's not this deep and involved. Um, I'm just looking for, you know, a fun superhero story that, that has some action. And I think that parasite moment was really where it was. And unfortunately, I, I don't think that's, that's what we're going to get. But I mean, people like really, uh, drawn out and, and, and 
deep stories. And I think that's what you're going to get here where there are going to be many layers. Cause I felt like th- this was an onion where there were several layers already thrown out in issue one. So talk about, we were talking about, we are Robin and all those other things that, you know, we've got little pieces that we can pull out. This has a lot to pull out and deconstruct in the 50 pages that you had to read. So um, I, I think that some people are going to appreciate that. But for me, my taste, I kind of wanted, you know, one of those Justice League knock'em sock'ems. And I got it for a few pages. All right. And then over on the website, Ryan, he reviewed the book and gave it three out of five. Moving on to our next book, Teen Titans number nine. The basic gist of this book was the team is trying to kind of stay out of sight because Manchester Black is trying to find the team. Uh, the team has basically separated into two entities. Uh, one of the entities is led by Red Robin. The other one's led by Kid Flash. Uh, Superboy, if you read the annual back in uh, the end of March, the annual had Superboy f- basically framed for killing an entire civilization of people. And one of those people, well, I guess it's not the entire civilization, but one of the people from that civilization, his name is, uh, her name is Chimera, and she has the ability to absorb people's appearances and their, I guess, confidence, power, not, not necessarily powers, but like their, their skill set without it being the powers. Like, for example, she takes the form of Red Robin because they're high on top of a building and she's, very uneasy for being so high up, but she becomes Robin, Red Robin, and then has the ability to be fine with being so high up and not as easy, if that makes any sense. Uh, in Chicago, Bunker, Beast Boy, and Raven are taking a stroll through the city, but they're trying to stay out of sight. Unfortunately, it doesn't work very well, and there are some people who recognize them and want their autographs. As a giant crowd of people is forming, someone ends up getting pushed onto the train tracks, and the person is saved by Superboy. The crowd around them starts to freak out because they think Superboy is going to kill all of them. And in turn, Manchester Black is finds out that Superboy is in Chicago and realizes that the entire team must be in Chicago as well. Uh, Superboy takes the, the team to an apartment but busts a giant hole in the wall in the process and then Red Robin shows up and says, thanks for making this the worst place in the world to be hiding out in the Midwest. Uh, Manchester Black's team with Kid Flash shows up. They say they need, Kid Flash tells Red Robin they need to talk about what we're not sure yet. And then Wonder Girl says that she's going to take out Superboy. And then we're led to believe the next issue is going to be Superboy versus Wonder Girl. All right. So this was the book I was kind of hinting at before. When I was, when I mentioned that, uh, a lot of the books had the ability to, you know, have great jumping on points. This is not one of them. Um, Teen no. Titans, <laughs> yeah, Teen Titans feels like a book that if you don't know what's going on, you're really, really lost. Because the thing is, the last time we saw Kid Flash, he was locked in a prison in the future. But now he's suddenly back, and I don't know how he got back. I don't know if it's because I missed an issue or what. Um, but he he's suddenly back, leading this team for Manchester Black. Uh, Wonder Girl is hell-bent on this idea that Superboy is guilty without having any real proof, just, you know, just the assumption that he's guilty, just like everybody else. Um, Raven is extremely ill, but nobody has any idea why or what caused it or anything like that. There's so much stuff that's, and then not to mention Superboy killing an entire civilization. If you, 
Oops, picked yeah. up this book, you'd have no idea what the heck happened. So the thing is, this is not a book to just jump on. I hate to say it because, you know, this is probably the one book out of everything that came out this month that I felt this was the case where it wasn't a good jumping on point because there were so many questions that you're asked just by reading this one issue, but so many questions that even if you read the other issues, you still are asking yourself, why are, why is all this stuff happening? So it wasn't, it's not necessarily a bad story. I want to, I, I, I'm, you know, obviously we're going to keep covering it and I'm going to keep giving it a chance as far as trying to rectify some of the stuff that's been going on. But there's been so, they rebooted this book to no have a, a, a new direction. It has had no new direction other than just telling a different, you know, different stories. But there's, there's absolutely nothing that's happening in this book. It, it just feels like, like, this is where they're throwing all of these other characters that aren't in any of the other books. I think that I don't know why they renumbered the book, especially. Uh, and this is a mess. I mean, it's, yep. It's unfortunate too, because Teen Titans or Titans, if they want to go by that, uh, has had some really amazing storylines over the years, pre post flashpoint. Uh, but recently it's just not been. I just, I really don't know what's happening. I don't know why, where Kid Flash came from. I don't, a lot of stuff Dustin said. I just, this book was very, um, you know, you could, you could lose your way easily on it. Put it like that. All right. So moving right along, Secret Six, number three is our final book reviewed by Jim. He gave it three and a half out of five. Um, basically not, this is another one of the zany books out there. Um, yeah, I don't have a lot to say about this book. Uh, the basic gist of kind of what's going on is the team is hiding out in a, in a, in a house in a neighborhood. One of their neighbors ends up, happens to be a, a police officer who beats his dog. Uh, Thomas Blake, aka Catman, not very happy about him beating his dog. Eventually the team decides that they're going to kind of deal with the neighbor beating his dog. They, they deal with him by, you know, beating him up. And then taking the dog. That's the entire gist of the story. I mean, there's not, I mean, there's a lot of characters in the books. So there's a lot of stuff that, you know, a lot of discussion between the characters, but there's not a whole lot that actually occurs moving the team forward. So that's the gist of the book. As far as my thoughts on the book, um, if you like Gail Simone, this is definitely the book for you. I mean, she has some of her great characters, like the new ventriloquist in the book. You know, she has, uh, she she has the ability to basically do and say what she wants. If you saw the cover for Secret Six, there's a giant black circle on it that says censored because there's something happening in the middle of the cover that you can't see. Um, in the book, it's implied that somebody of amongst the team had sex in the living room and made a giant mess in the middle of the night. Um, it, it's basically the dirty book of the DC. I don't like it. Next. <laughs> I, I mean, like, it's good. It's, we're, it's, uh, we're specifically covering it because it does have members of the extended Batman universe. That's why we're covering it. Obviously, this is the first time. This isn't, this, we're, we're, we're covering it. That's why it's the her last book because it's so far, it's, it's almost so far removed from everything else that it's almost like we should cut the book ourselves, but we're covering it. It's happening. Deal with it. If you, <laughs> If you want a detailed description Atta of everything boy. that's happened, <laughs> read the review over on the website or obviously just pick up the book. All right. So with that, that is all of the books for our TV spotlight. Let's jump straight over into our listener Q and A's. All 
you get a wrong number? Leave your message at the sound of the shriek. No, please, don't! So first off, thank you for everyone who did respond uh, to our, uh, you know, from the last episode. We're glad we're back, so here we go. First up, Terry says, hey guys, another great episode. I think we're all glad to have Convergence behind us, and I retract the sentiment I expressed in my article about the event warming my heart. I did have some thoughts about the things you discussed with Batman and Detective Comics number 41. First, the timeline didn't bother me as much, but I wonder if it's because I read Detective Comics before I read Batman. I still noticed the inconsistencies, but I wonder if they seem different because I read them reverse of what you three did. My custom has always been to read Detective First because it came out the week before, and I did that with these books as well, and I wonder if it will make a difference in a reader's perception of the events of both books. Also, just a thought about the seating chart from the end of Detective Comics 41. I just assumed that it was a seating chart for the big event at the circus that Gordon and Sawyer were discussing earlier, and to which Bullock said he had been assigned. I could be wrong, but that was my first thought when I read it. Gave up the good work, and I'm looking forward to the new things the comic cast has to offer. All right, so a couple of things. The first thing is the timeline situation. So, you know, I I understand the, you know, your idea of reading Detective Comics before Batman makes complete sense because that's how they always released. Coincidentally, in July, the first week of July, Detective Comics is back on the first week, and then Batman's still on the second week. So they get right back into the, you know, the old schedule. Why it was different for December or uh, for June, I have no idea. I, you know, I don't know if it would have made a difference. Obviously, I would have ended up reading Detective Comics first if it did come out in that first week, which it feels like it probably should have. I don't know what the delay was and why it came out the second week. Um, as far as the, you know, seating chart, entirely possible. You know, I'll leave it. I'll leave your thought is probably the best option right now. I mean, better, better than any idea I got. So yeah. Yeah, I, I I still don't know if they mix well together. I think there, even if you flip them around, there are still some inconsistencies. But uh, but yeah, good thought about the the uh, circus seating chart because I was saying, you know, I think of a wedding or some other banquet or something like that. So that would be the event since it it was happening in the issue. So yeah. All right, next up, Gary, one of our reviewers from the site. He says, some info on the price increase from Harley Quinn's title number 16 had 20 story pages and was $2.99. Number 17 has 22 story pages and now is $3.99. So if you remember in the last episode, I brought up the fact that suddenly Harley Quinn jumped up a dollar, and it's probably due to the fact that it's a very popular book, and DC's just trying to cash in on the popularity of the book by making extra money on it. The fact that Gary points out that there is literally only two extra pages, I would never in my wildest dream think to myself that two pages warrants an extra dollar. I would, so if a book, if a book is 20 pages and it's 2.99, I would assume you should be getting at least six more pages for your, your extra dollar. I'll do a bit of, of trivia here for everybody on this subject. So in the last reported month's comic book sales, which was May, did the first book that is below $3, which is of course $2.99, is Walking Dead number, tw- and that comes in at number 21 overall. So as of now, all the top 20 books are more than $3.99, or $3.99 or more. A lot of them are $4.99, in fact. Um, and if you look down the, the, the list, the group of, 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 299 books, there is not that many, you know, left that are selling well. So, uh, it, it seems to be the fact that nobody seems to really care if it's 399 because it doesn't seem to be hurting sales figures at all. Yeah. 
Well, you're also looking at me, though. Yeah, but I mean, there's every book is three ninety nine, four ninety nine. I mean, they're, they're just. I mean, Star Wars. I mean, look at the Marvel. The new Marvel books are all three ninety nine, four ninety nine. You know, Star Wars, Secret Wars, all their big sellers are are big money books. Well, but what I'm saying is, you're looking at May, which mm-hmm. doesn't have any of the normal books from DC. It's well, all the convergent stuff. To put it into perspective, April, Harley or Quinn. May, it would be. It, wouldn't it be March? Would it be March? Would it be before Convergence? I mean, look, yep. Harley. Harley Quinn was the, was the highest rated two ninety nine book in in April too. That's funny. Um, yeah. Still, you go down to it's Harley Quinn was that well. Yeah, this bears your logic out exactly, Dustin. Harley Quinn was the only two ninety nine book from DC in the top twenty. Yeah. So, so it, that's why the price got raised. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, it, it it just it's a cash cash in by DC. I mean, that's that's what it is. I mean. Great that we got two extra story pages. Who knows if that'll last? I remember when they used to make a big deal about, or they did make a big deal about the fact that, uh, Detective, or, uh, Batman and Detective Comics went up to 399 way back at the beginning of the New 52. And then later on, when, uh, they tried to raise Batman from 399 to 499, Scott Snyder was like, whoa, 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 wait. I'll argue the point because I don't think that we really need to be charging four ninety nine for the book. And at the time, it was probably just a you know, uh, you know, a glimpse, a glimpse in the crystal ball of what was to come as far as what what was happening. Because DC's probably sitting there thinking to themselves, well, if Marvel can sell their books, their top books for four ninety nine, why can't we? Batman's consistently you know in the top five, if not the top book of the month. We should be selling this for five because it has the same amount of pages as the Marvel stuff. People will pay it, but I mean, like props to Snyder. We we gave him props when that happened. It is only a matter of time before that book ends up going to four ninety nine. Oh yeah, uh, quickly, right? Yeah. I mean, I, all right, end of the year. But I I would bet dollars to pesos by the end of the year it'll be four ninety nine. Which will be interesting because it'll only be a matter of time. Like if they were going to do the price increase, they have to do it before he leaves the book. But the only way they can do it is if. He's still on the book and then just keep the price at what it is when he leaves the book. If he leaves the book after issue 50. So we'll see what happens. All right. Next up, Stella's favorite commenter, John Mixelplick says, why not just bring back Gotham Central? It have it include Renee Montoya as the question, Batwoman and throwing the Bat Robo chappie in that book. The quicker Bruce Wayne shaves off that beard and pulls, puts on the cape and collar again, the better. I'd like to read more Batman stories in Batman and Detective Comics ASAP, but Scott Snyder won't be writing Batman for too much longer. I guess he's earned the right to sideline Bruce Wayne for a while. It appears that Robin wannabes will be meeting Bruce in the third issue of We Are Robin, so I guess he won't be sitting on a bench and starting and staring at the pink sky for long. But he becomes Batman again. It would be cool, or before he becomes Batman again, it would be cool if Bruce appeared in the other Bat books and maybe monitored everything from a distance. Catwoman's emotional reaction to Batman's alleged death was great. It's nice to see at least someone close to Batman will actively search for him instead of just sitting on their butts and doing nothing. Batman Universe, stay classy. Alright, so, good point. I mean, like, maybe Bat- maybe Bruce Wayne is the one with the robo-bats that we see in We Are Robin. I mean, obviously, you posted your comment before we, you know, We Are Robin came out, but somebody's watching stuff happening with the robo-bats. Maybe it is Bruce Wayne... It would be interesting to see how, you know, see the perspective of Bruce Wayne if he's, if everything is just running smoothly without him. 
And then eventually he just has to come back because things aren't running smoothly or because we find out that the Powers Corporation is actually corrupt and they're trying to corrupt Jim Gordon and Batman has no choice or Bruce Wayne has no choice but to come back. But that all being said, it would be great if we could see in at least one of these books his perspective on everything occurring while he's not in the suit. I think that could be fun, to be honest with you. I mean, that would make sense because the only reason Bruce doesn't come back and do something is if everything is going fine, right? Like he's, if Scarecrow is attacking the city or insert villain here, people lost a life, there's no way he sits on the bench. So it would almost have to be, um, unless like they talked about him losing his memory and things like that, but it would, wouldn't that have to be, it'd have to be almost semi-piece, right? Or it wouldn't make sense at all. Yeah. All right. And then last but not least, Adam says, I wanted to let the host know that it is great to have the whole crew back. Ed did a great job with conversions considering what he had to deal with. This is the best group that has ever done this show, and it's great to have you all back. I've been listening to this for years, and this is the best group ever. Dustin the Stoic, who is always on point and doing his thing and never lets us down. Stella the fun, loving one who is always adding some lightness into the show. And Ed the wild card. Keep up the great work, and I would love to hear what your, your favorite Batman stories are ever. Adam, I appreciate your kind remarks. Those are always greatly appreciated. Um, I've said before, but and it's, it's, at this point, I don't think I don't think it'll probably ever change. But my favorite storyline, as far as Batman goes, back to Batman No Man's Land. It involves so many different facets of the Batman universe, Gotham City, Batman's allies, Batman's rogues gallery. I love those stories that involve all those elements. That's why I was so looking forward to Batman Eternal. And they did, you know, they did deliver on it as far as having a lot of different elements from the Batman universe, but the story just wasn't as, as detailed and complete as the story of No Man's Land. No Man's Land lasted for such a long time and covered all of the books that were going on. And I love the fact that you could literally read one issue of a book the next week, read another issue of a different series, and it still be following the exact same storyline. Stuff in the, stuff in the nineties as far as timelines and continuity was extremely structured, whether it be Batman or even going back to Superman. Uh, people who read Superman comics in the 90s know that they used to have the little shield on the cover of the book that showed the number. It would show a number, not the issue number, but a, a specific number. And normally they would renumber those at the beginning of the year. And what happened was those shields, it would tell you the order to read the book. So Superman had four books at one point. Superman, uh, Action Comics, Man of Steel, and Adventures of Superman. And all four of those books, as they released throughout the month, they would tell a long overall story, and they would tell you exactly what order to read them by seeing what that shield mark was. So stuff in the 90s was extremely detailed when it came to continuity and very structured. And stuff nowadays, as we've seen and as we have commented on, not as much. I like No Man's Land. It's good. Um, But I would probably have to go with... In continuity stuff, God, this is such a tough question. In continuity stuff, I would say that my favorite is probably Hush, um, pre-New 52. I really like No Man's Land. The only problem with No Man's Land is it's tough to reread it because it's so big, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's tough to go, I'm going to read No Man's Land and not put to get put aside, like, a month of your life, you know? Um, so I, I, I think that Hush is probably my favorite pre-New 52. Uh, but probably my, my favorite overall story, definitely since New 52, is Death of the Family, and it's one of my favorite stories of all time. So go ahead and shoot me now. 
I would say No Man's Land is certainly up there. Um, does the Long Halloween count? Oh, hell yeah, <laughs> counts. Okay, okay. Yes. I wasn't sure. And, and Hush is, is also up there for me. Uh, the Long Halloween is uh, a tops for me. And I actually really love Elseworld stories. And I guess it could kind of be considered a Superman story. But Speeding Bullets is perhaps one of my favorite Elseworld stories. I know it's kind of uh, an amalgamation of Superman and Batman. You kind of have to read to find out why. But but certainly those are um, some of my favorite stories. All right. And with that, that is all our listener Q&A. So if you have listener Q&As, be sure to post your comments on the website for the next episode. So with that, as I promised you on the last episode, because we are no longer covering any specific in-depth reviews on the podcast, on the second episode of the month, we are going to have some discussion points. So for this episode, we actually have a couple of different discussion points. The very first one is convergence. Now, you may remember back in May... The last episode that Ed recorded with Josh, Paul, and Don, uh, they talked about Convergence number eight and their thoughts on it. And at the time, I was originally planned to also appear on that episode so that I could talk about Convergence number eight, my thoughts on it. And something came up with work, couldn't make it to the recording, and then in turn, I was going to put in some editor's notes, didn't have time for that either. So I figured... Well, what better time to talk about Convergence 8 than a month later? Let it all sit in and then also get Stella's perspective on it too. So with Convergence number 8, the big thing that basically happened, if you haven't heard, Convergence number 8 basically said it, basically created it so that all of the universes that appeared ever in the DC universe now still exist. The, you know, We've never, all of the crises that have ever happened have, I guess in some way, some of them haven't happened now because they've all been adjusted because of the events that have happened in Convergence. It's the basic gist of it. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to go into extreme detail as far as what happened. If you read Convergence, it, it happened. That's not really what we're going to talk about here. What we're going to talk about here is thoughts on the idea that the end of Convergence basically opens up all of the different versions of the characters and what that means for DC as a company. You know, we've heard Dan DiDio say, you know, well, now we can tell stories with pre-crisis Superman or we could tell stories with, you know, pre-Flashpoint uh, Flash or we could tell stories with, you know, zero-hour characters and things like that. Like, what do you think that means for DC as a company? You know, the fact that, you know, we talked about it briefly in the last episode about the fact that, well, if they end up telling stories out of continuity, they need to make sure they come up with some way of, like, making sure that everybody knows what universe it's taking place on because all of the continuities are wide open to be used. But as a reader and a fan, how does this affect your, I mean, at this point, nothing's actually happened because... If anything's going to happen, it'll probably happen in October. But what what do you think the end of Convergence, how do you feel like that – what does that do to you as a fan who reads these comics? I think what it does is – the short answer would be it, it really opens up avenues for storytellers to be able to tell – whatever stories they want, and they're not burdened by what's currently going on. Um, the history of DC Comics, if you want to go back to Crisis, 
you could strike it back to the golden age if you felt like it. But the truth is there's a lot of different eras and they're, they're all very unique. Um, sometimes it's tone. Sometimes it's art. Sometimes it's combination of the two. Sometimes it's what characters are alive or dead, but there's becoming a lot of very specific eras in DC comics that are starting to feel more and more like their own universes. I know that was probably always the point, but for some reason, the older I get and the more I look back on it, the more I see that there seems to be these separate universes. I think that what we're seeing here is as opposed to the prior administration, that's the wrong word, but the, the, the prior regime saying, once we've closed the book on something, we only want to move forward, which is what the new 52 was, was designed to do, was we've closed the book on the past, we're going to leave the past there, and we're going to keep moving forward. I think this is the first time in a while we've seen the opening of the eyes or the opening of the storybooks where they're saying, okay, we can go now explore these other universes. And I don't, I mean, you know, things like crisis, post-crisis, infinite crisis, you know, events as well as actual universes. And I think that this is, this is giving creators more leeway, which I think is a good thing because I think that there is no reason. One of the best things about having a great past and that much backstory is the ability to explore it. And if you can't explore it or in some cases eliminated it, um, what's the point in having all these stories that we couldn't explore? Um, look at how much of Batman's continuity was crammed together, shortened to fit in the five-year window, which never truly made any sense. Um, so I think this is almost, in a lot of ways, this is an organization that may have made a mistake and it is in their own way saying that they did and fixing it to the best of their ability. Does this completely, are we saying that the first crisis and and because of that, the subsequent crises have never happened. Because I know that, uh, Brainiac, and I guess somewhat tell, he tells them, uh, you know, the, the people with got Supergirl and Superman, go back, fix it, have it never have. So is it, are we saying this for sure that it has never happened? I think they're saying they're all happened, right? No, I think what it's saying is that everything has happened, like, okay. I think we're looking at this from two different perspectives. In the story of Convergence, they have to go back and prevent that crisis from occurring. Right. Because the universe, the multiversity in, in, as a whole cannot withstand any more crisis because of that initial crisis. They go back and they stop that crisis from happening. But the characters all still had that stuff happen. It's not like... I don't know. The way I read it, it wasn't as if they traveled back through time, prevented it from happening, and now everything from that point to now has to be rewritten. It wasn't, I didn't read it like that. Mm. I read it as if once that crisis happens, we, that there was a brand new universe that was created in, in the multiversity with these characters. That's why we, you know, we saw zero hour characters, we saw infinite crisis characters, pre-crisis characters, pre-flashpoint characters in convergence because they all, all of these universes still exist. The pre-crisis, uh, characters, they didn't just disappear after crisis. They still existed. It was just their own little world. Mm-hmm. You know, they all, they, they, they were in this little area of the, of the multiversity, but just nobody realized they were still there. Same thing with these other ones. Now, the thing is, all of those characters are still on their little universes because of that. That's why we have different versions of these characters. But they had to stop the crisis from happening in order to make sure that the the multiversity didn't fall apart. That's the way I read it. Okay. And correct me if I'm wrong. No, I think that's it. I think they're they're all there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, like, they all exist. It's just it's not like a time travel type thing where it's like 
we're going to time travel back, stop this from happening, and then back to the future style, everything is going to adjust, you know, from that point to the future. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's like that at all, but, but yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, I just wondered what that meant. Um, I have some problems with this. Uh, two, number one, I think we are going to have an abuse of some characters because, you know, if, if Dan DiDio is excited about using Superman from different Earths, hey, that is great. But I am concerned with some characters that we have not seen since Flashpoint happened. And so now I'm afraid that they've opened all of this up and they're going to borrow from characters that we've not seen in a while, favorites that they love, but fan favorites or other people that have not existed for a while, we're still not going to see them because they've just been pushed further and further down into the the ladder of of DC usage. The other thing is, I just wonder where some of these characters' backstories are. Like, if we've sort of rubbed them clean. Like, what what version now are we reading of Supergirl, who has a super messed up backstory? Uh, are we just like, I mean, do I just assume this stuff happened, but we're still in post Flashpoint, so like, don't even think about it. So just focus on the here and now. Is that what I need to do? Because as a reader, I feel like now it's super crazy. If I want to think about history and how these characters have developed, then now it's like super messed up. And I thought Convergence was just supposed to be this little off thing that's not going to impact anything. But I feel like it's impacted everything. And so now I'm just wondering, as a reader who does care about the history, dust in the history what 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 do i do do i just look at it you know in a in a vacuum put blinders on and just read new pre new 52 as new 52 and ignore everything else those are my questions like do i get overwhelmed with the history with this stuff that's going on and will i ever see people like cassandra kane do you think she'll ever occur so here's my thoughts on that you know my thing is i was actually under the same mindset that you were as far as well, great. Now we have all of these other characters. Not, it's not just about, you know, well, now that we can use these characters from these other, you know, areas of the universe at will, because the story has been opened up and all of these characters, you know, are still out there and exist. Because all of that happened, I was sitting there thinking to myself the same thing, you know, well, what about these characters that, you know, we're, we've been waiting to see or we've been waiting to be used? In, you know, in the stories we're already reading. How does that affect that? And, and the thing is, it does, but my concern was actually more on the larger scheme of things. If you start telling stories about characters from a specific little corner of the DC universe, how do you, how do you really do that and, and give those characters justice without it being something like what they are doing with Earth One with the trade paperbacks where everything happening on Earth One is all happening in these trade paperbacks as their own stories. You're lucky if you get one story with them a year or every other year. Um, but like, that's, that's basically what occurs. You know, we've gotten two volumes in three years for Batman Earth One. We've gotten two of Superman. We've got a Teen Titans one, but there's still other ones out there that still haven't been written. But there's, but it's still, it's still very, very controlled in the way that it's still a very singular story that's happening in a very, very short amount of pages. When you open it up to anybody can tell anything, how do you control that without having it like, which is interesting because the way the, the, it's, 
It's interesting because the way they made those trade paperbacks for Convergence, they actually have them labeled based off of the type of characters that they came from, or the the era that they came from. So pre-crisis, infinite crisis, pre-flashpoint, zero hour. That's the way they've they've labeled the book. So I'm wondering if they, and I mentioned this before, how do you do this without, you know, with, with some sort of constraint on what they're doing? Because you can't have three random books telling stories from zero hour. You can't have three random books telling stories from this because there just wouldn't be enough focus. You'd have to do it in a larger scheme with more pages or a much smaller direct look. So what if they did like, uh, instead of earth one, whatever they want to call it, I don't think they're going to call it earth, but you know, pre-crisis DC universe, I think it's the label and then just tell, you know, a story in a trade paperback form like they did with earth one. I think that's honestly the only route they can really go without it becoming completely convoluted as to how it intersects with everything that's already happening. Well, I, I think that there's two ways to do it. Honestly, I've thought about this a little bit. It shows how much I have to think about. Um, there, there is, uh, there is your route, which is the trades and, and the OGNs, which would be fine. But I think what you could do is much like there's just a book that says earth two on it. They could have a pre-crisis book. They could call it infinite crisis, final crisis, uh, zero hour, and I think that might exactly what you get is, is just, these are a book for, from each of these universes. I think that's, that's, if not possible, likely. Or what you could do is you could start seeing maybe imprints, uh, like you talked about earlier with the way they would number things back in the days. You might start seeing imprints where it might say, you know, um, Batman and Robin, or it doesn't even matter what the name of the book is, book zero. And then, a symbol on the cover that shows this is a post-crisis book. This is a pre-crisis book. This is a continuity-free book. Um, if you're going to have this much stuff going on, it has to be some way for you to know other than guessing. And I think that although it may sound cheesy in a way, the idea of just throwing a badge on it might be the easiest way to do it. It, it probably is the easiest way to do it. My con- my concern is this. When they did, when they had Earth 2, uh, before now, because now there's just Earth 2 Society, but before they had Earth 2 Worlds and Earth 2 and World's Finest to a degree all tied into that Earth 2 universe. But you had no idea which order to read that stuff in, except for when it was released. And the problem is some of the Earth 2 main series conflicted with some of the events that was actually being shown in Earth 2 Worlds End at, at various points throughout the, you know, the entire run of Earth 2 Worlds End. So my concern is, Hopefully they learn from their mistakes with that stuff and they figure out some way of doing it because if they go the route of single comic issues, one, I have a hard, well, I mean, like, it just goes back to, I don't know how many people are actually going to get super invested into a story that's telling, telling stories as just a giant universe compared to singular characters because, you know, Earth 2 World's End didn't have the best rate, uh, sales numbers either. No. You know, <laughs> not at all. I mean, and the thing is, but there was a ton of stuff happening in that title. And there was a ton of stuff happening in Earth 2, but even Earth 2 didn't even have that great of sales numbers. Not as bad as World's End, but it didn't have that great of sales numbers either. So, like, there there has to be a way to do it where they do it smart, but they make it so that it flows. Because don't get me wrong, if you actually figured out exactly how to read the entire Earth 2 stuff that occurred, you know, before Convergence... It actually is a really good story and it's unique because it's telling these characters that we don't know about and we're learning things about these characters that are, 
basically different versions of the characters that we know, those are those are interesting stories. It's the essential, you know, it's essentially the Elseworlds of the main DC universe without sure. it being Elseworlds. Which it's funny because a couple of years ago, Dan DiDio, every time there would be a convention, they'd be asked about, you know, what, you know, what's the, you know, do you guys have any plans to bring Elseworlds back? And he just kept saying, no, we're not doing Elseworlds. No, we're not doing Elseworlds. But then now we've seen Earth 2 get their own little story going on. We see Earth 1 getting their own little story going on. Uh, to a point, Future's End is Elseworld because it's from the future. We had Multiversity going on, which covers all of these different universes and individual stories focusing on different characters. And now we have co- the, you know, Convergence and the Fall from Convergence. We have characters from all these different areas of the timeline of the DC universe suddenly becoming, you know, focus points. So like, it's almost like he's wants to do Elseworlds without calling it Elseworlds. Which, fine, whatever. But like, it just comes down to. But just call just it feel, that. Like, yeah, just I mean, do it. That, that's the need to you do. Know? Just figure out some way to make it work. If it's gonna be, you know, if it's a label on a single issue, if it's trade paperbacks, just do it and do it in a way where it makes sense. Don't make me sit there and have to read five different issues per month to get the storyline just because you want to make sure you have a ridiculous amount of books that you're publishing every month because sometimes that's how it feels at DC. Yes. No, it very much does. But I, I guess the other question, the real question is as much Stella brought up a good point. So you talk about like characters that are gone that are, we're never going to see and as a time to give up hope in a way. Right. Mm-hmm. I think what'll happen is this. I don't, I think that this could, this is going to be tough to, to explain where I don't sound insane or just willingly mean, but, um, I think that what they're going to we'll focus on is we'll no longer have to have a character introduced in a modern continuity. If they want to tell a Cass Kane story with the multiverse back, they could just go back and tell us a classic Cass Kane story. What it would might allow them to do is not forcibly reintegrate characters in ways that they don't seem like they're the original characters at all. Just the original characters names are on them. We've seen that a, a few times over the years. Um, I think this actually could be good for that. If they want to tell a Cass Kane story, just tell us one. We don't have to force them into modern continuity. That way they can keep the modern continuity slimmed down if they want to and not introduce things they don't, that they don't feel like they really want to do. Um, so I think that's what we'll see in the future. But, but here's the problem with that. The problem is, where do you just randomly tell a Cass Kane story? And how does editorial and the publishers randomly say, yes, this is a great idea. Tell this random story. Well, isn't that what they were saying though? Like just playing devil's advocate. What, no, I right? know you're right. You're absolutely right. That's exactly what he said. He exactly said those words. We can tell any stories we want. Yes, you can, but someone still has to approve those stories. You know, this is basically like saying we want our creators to be able to do whatever they want with any of the characters from any point in the DC universe at any point in time. Great. But how many of those stories are actually going to get greenlit? I mean, I, I, I don't know. I have a hard time believing. Like if Scott Snyder walked up to – okay, well, not, let's not <laughs> use Scott Don't Snyder, use Snyder. Because he'll, 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 get, he'll get greenlit regardless. Doesn't matter. But, yeah. uh, let, let's look at somebody like uh, – Peter Tomasi, okay, he's a good writer. He's been around at DC for quite some time. He goes to DC and says, hey, I've got this awesome Cassandra Kane story. I want it to take place pre-Flashpoint when she was Black Bat because that's the character I think could really work. Why would DC just randomly say, hey, yeah, this is a perfect time to bring her back? Because even though we've heard 
Tinian and Snyder both say, we have some idea of where we can bring Cassandra in. You know, like, how do they do that and not jeopardize what they've got going on in their best-selling books? Like, it just, to me, it just feels like it's just they're talking to talk. Yeah, but isn't, I mean. Yes, this is, this is possible. Here's the thing. Is it going to happen? Well, that's the question, right? Like, if they, if they give us the possibility and say, guys, the whole catalog is now open. Don't they almost have to produce some stories? And if not, what was the point of doing it? Like, there's no point in opening up the catalog just to make sure nobody can use it. So, if you follow what they say, what what we could only lead be believed is that nobody pitched any stories they wanted to tell. Right? Well, we would assume that there that wasn't their goal in June. I don't feel like their goal was to immediately have books. And that could be potentially what we see in October. Maybe something's happening. I mean, we know that they have some room in the amount of books they're publishing currently where they could have some more books come out to fill out their, you know, their their line if they wanted to. Whether they decide to do that with those stories or something else, we'll have to wait and see. But honestly, it just feels like it's <sighs> conveniently. I'm, I'm just thinking of like what we know about October. October is supposed to be the first month we see that Dark Knight Returns third volume first issue. That's when we're supposed to see it. Technically, that doesn't take place at any point in time. That's out of continuity. It could take place at anything. And you know, when they first talked about when they, before convergence even happened, they were talking about June. They, you know, they made a very big stress point about the fact that things don't have to be continuity. Continuity is not the deciding factor. It's story that matters. But when you look at the books, all the bat books are still within the same continuity. No matter what they want to say, they're all happening at the exact same time. You know, Justice League is not happening the same time as what's happening in the Batman universe. There's other books that are obviously not happening at the same time as how they line up. Justice League of America, completely out of continuity. Right. But they're still happening. These books are still happening. And if you look, the best-selling books of, you know, from DC Comics, they're not just going to suddenly say, you know what? We know you're telling an awesome Batman story that is selling us a hundred, hundred thousand plus issues potentially a month, but we're going to let this other person tell they're really great Batman story over here so that we can split our audience with the amount of books that they buy. They're just not. No, of course like, they're not. I, yeah. So that's the thing. Like, no, like you could, they could sit there and rattle off as many times as they want about anything's possible. Continuity doesn't matter. When I start seeing bat books that don't completely reflect everything that Snyder is doing, I'll believe it. That has never, that hasn't been the case since the beginning of the New 52. So then I, then I have to ask the question. I'd like both of your response on this because I'm curious. If, why do you think they did it then? What they did at the end of Convergence? Do you think that they, cause this is something I think we, we are all guilty of sometimes. I think we subscribe more thought process to the things they do than they do sometimes. Um, do you think that this was something they just did or do you think there was a plan behind doing it uh, for, for as far as a publishing plan down, down the road? I don't feel like there's a publishing plan. I mean, maybe, we have to wait, obviously, until to see what they're going to do in October. But I don't feel like there's an overall publishing plan. Like, even when that we saw that interview with Dan DiDio when he was talking about, well, everything's wide open and everything could be used and blah, blah, blah. He even said, when we do it, we have to figure out some way of making sure that people know which, where it's taking place. But that comment by itself leads me to believe that they don't have any plans at this point. 
Like, it's there, they can do it, they've opened it up so that it's there, but right now it's just basically so they can say, it's there. I don't feel like they have any immediate plans to do anything. Like, come October, I could be completely, I could, or, you know, well, it won't even be October because we'll hear the announcements. <laughs> come San Diego. In a couple weeks. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure it'll be a San Diego, if not even, and if, for whatever reason, they don't announce it, if there is some event happening in October, they will announce it by the end of July. But I just get this odd suspicion that there is, that there is no immediate plan to do it. It's just basically, it's there. We can start having conversations about it, but the plan was to just basically open it up so anything can be used, but we don't necessarily have an immediate plan to use it. And I think they've been doing as much as possible to create it as wide open as possible. Because the first thing that happened before this, issue eight at least, was the fact that they said, we're not as concerned with continuity. And so I think because you've already opened that <laughs> can of worms and then you give this, then they can create whatever story they want in whatever continuity they want. And we as readers apparently should not be as concerned. It's ironic because they have opened up. It's huge. What they have done is huge, uh, somewhat overwhelming. But again, I think they're just going to be focusing on the big three almost characters that we see all the time and you know over in marvel and i say this only because i wonder if they do these things parallel in order to compete with each other because when you go to these panels though like the amount of flack that they give each other when they're talking is pretty ridiculous you have to be there to listen to what they're dropping but over in marvel they're doing the exact opposite where secret wars is basically collapsing there are two universes, the big thing, the big 616 and the ultimate. They're going to be killing off, getting rid of, bringing back people, but it's not as wide open. I don't know if this was purposeful to, to ha- run parallel with, uh, with Marvel or, you know, vice versa. I feel like Secret Wars, what that idea was put forth before convergence. Who knows? Um, I also think, you know, if you think back when New 52 started, we had a couple, I can only think of two offhand, but, um, Pain and Prejudice, I think it was called, the Penguin Mini, one, one through six, mm-hmm. and um, the, the Huntress. Hunter. Yes, the Huntress yep. miniseries. And so obviously those two minis, they were in continuity. They set things up. Uh, but now I feel like this is going to be the format for these out-of-continuity stories. I don't think they're going to be ongoing. I think it's going to be... You know, short, shorter stories, maybe six issues, maybe less. And I think we're starting to see that potentially with Batmite, which doesn't really, I don't think that's in continuity. Um, no, yeah. it's not. And, and you're absolutely right when you say that. Like, that probably is the case. They're going to, mm-hmm. you know, we talked about this last episode. They're probably going to be doing a lot more miniseries. And when they do those miniseries, some of them could be completely out of continuity. And that's, mm-hmm. and that's fine. I, I don't have a problem with that. I guess my thing is, you know, I don't, and if it's focusing on a singular character, just telling a story, fine. I guess, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, I said it has to be either, you know, single issues or it could be trade paperbacks. And realistically, you could do, you know, a, a mini series. It's collected into one trade paperback as its equivalent. Mm-hmm. So it's basically the same thing. I mean, it's kind of, it's a cash grab, really. But it's well, it dangerous. Is. Oh, it definitely it be, is. There's so much, there's going to be so, I can envision so much product out there, but only some things are going to work and some things are not. But this is the danger of it because they're going to go for characters that they know are going to sell. If, you know, Red Rain Batman no. did a good job, then they're going to do a story with Red 
rain Batman, but there are other, you know, I don't know if they're going to do the through the looking glass Batman and do another story with that, huh, Ed? One would hope not. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm, yeah, they're, they're, it's going to go with the, the characters that sell, which goes back to my original point of, you know, if you have a character that you really enjoy and, and they're not there, Donna Troy, she's not in the in post-Flashpoint, is she? If I want a Donna yeah, Troy story. She just story. came back two months ago. Oh, exciting. But she's evil now. Oh, great. So, yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? But it's also, you know, it is an opportunity, I will say, uh, which I think – sort of ties into convergence maybe that was like a, a way to uh to whet our appetites to bring back original authors you know we had uh marv wolfman right he did the teen titans we haven't seen him for a while it's an opportunity to bring back some of these original authors to do a limited series you know one through six and people are going to buy that because if he's doing something on teen titans you know you can trust that on the flip side if you get Alyssa quitney to do a stephanie brad story um people may not buy that but i I, you know those convergence tie-ins may have been an experiment to see which authors worked with what storylines and can we expand on those particular universes you know, it's taking that a step further. You know, I said in the last episode that uh, the Batman universe is kind of a litmus paper for <laughs> what they should do with the DC universe. And thinking about this, outside, you just mentioned Penguin Pain and Prejudice, and mm-hmm. you said, uh, Huntress. You said Huntress. And then there was also Batman Odyssey. Oh, that's right. Which yep. we all want to forget about. Oh, yeah. And then you there, say there was, it, I breathe hard. Yes. <laughs> And then, and then we also, there's still the widening gear second volume oh, yeah. at some point that's supposed to come out. But if you look at just those, the, the widening gear is not, it didn't come out after the new 52, but those other three, Batman Odyssey, Penguin Pain and Prejudice, and Huntress, those have actually, I think, have only been the only miniseries that aren't part of an event that have occurred since the new 52. Mm. I, I, I think those are the only ones. And if that's the case, it almost feels like maybe they, 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 their intent was, let's see if we can have these miniseries work because Paul Levitz did the Huntress one. Mm-hmm. And then he went on to, you know, write Huntress in World's Finest, which wasn't part of continuity at all because the Huntress story was telling a completely different story from what we ended up seeing in World's Finest. But my point is, I wonder if, the idea was, because even now we're looking at some of the miniseries that they currently have, Batmites a miniseries, Harley Quinn, Power Girl. What's some of the other ones they have right now? Uh, Bizarro. Bizarro, which is a Superman. Bizarro, let's see, Bizarro, Batmite. I think those are the only, Harley Quinn, Power Girl. Those were the ones that were introduced. Uh, the All-Star, uh, or Section 8, is that Section a 8, one of six, and... That um Perez book, Perez, yeah, book Perez, was Perez, a tw- yeah. is a twelve issue miniseries, as odd as that sounds, but it it is also yeah. a limited run series. Okay, so if you look at those outside of Prez and Section Eight, that's a weird book. Those are yeah, it is, but th- those are still linked in a way to one of the big three, except for Prez and Section Eight. Prez is kind of just out there, but uh, you know, you got Bizarro. Linked to the Superman stuff, you got Harley Quinn, Power Girl, and Batmite linked to the Batman stuff. So, I mean, I wonder if they're kind of trying to see, because the other thing is, sometimes miniseries don't tend to have very good sales numbers because people don't get invested in because they know it's a miniseries. So, I'm wondering if this is all just some sort of, like, giant experiment to see what works and what doesn't. I mean, honestly, it feels like DC, that's all they ever do is experiment to see what works and what doesn't. And that's why we've seen books that have literally released two 
issues and then it's already announced that it's going to be canceled. Uh, that happened last year with Clarion and something else that just came oh, out. Yeah. yeah, they were canceled before. And, and you know, it's funny that they're not even, they're not even collecting those series, which is very yeah. rare. But anyway, back on topic. I mean, that, that's the basic gist. I mean, I don't want to get too much more in depth because I, <laughs> we, we have some other discussion points. Um, so that's, that's basically our thoughts on convergence. The next topic I wanted to discuss was, uh, Ed brought up, uh, through email, you know, we should talk about some of our predictions for San Diego. And this kind of deals with, you know, in a way what we just talked about with convergence. What do we think is going to actually happen or going to be announced? It actually is newsworthy. And when I say San Diego, let's, let's just keep the, you know, week and week, week and a half prior to San Diego as part of San Diego since it's all the same time sure. frame. Uh, what do you think is going to be announced in the first, basically the, basically the first two weeks of July as part of San Diego Comic-Con and what DC has planned for us? I think that we're going to get, and I, I, I bet you dollars to pesos that if you guys will both either agree that this is going to happen or wish it would happen, I think we're going to get that Batman Eternal Year 2 by Tomasi, and I think it's going to be focused on Robin to celebrate his 75th anniversary like Batman. I really think we're going to get that. That's that's probably the top of my list on the things I think we'll get from San Diego. Who's going to be the protect? Well, if, if you focus on Robin, who do you think? Do you think Dick Grayson could buy? I think it'll be all of them. Oh, okay. I, I think it'll be like a celebration of Robins. I think we'll have Dick, Tim, Damien, um, hopefully, and I hope we Stephanie. I mean, I, I and I hope we we celebrate all of them with it. And I think that that's what Eternal was supposed to do for Batman seventy fifth. So I think that they could do that here for Robin. I, I think that would be. Really cool. And, and, and again, I don't know if it's got to go 52 issues, right? I think we all discovered that 25 would probably do it or every other week, maybe, you know? Yeah. Um, but I think that we will get some kind of release on that during San Diego. Um, I, I hope that they do, so, do announce something like that. Although, and, and honestly, when you look at the, the direction of at least some of the stuff is going with, Dick Grayson in the pages of Grayson coming back to Gotham, dealing with the fact that Bruce is dead. Maybe there, maybe all the Robins are going to be teaming up, and maybe that is what's coming up. Would you- that would be awesome? But I feel like I feel like it's. I I don't know that it's going to be announced next week. I I feel like it will happen at some point before the end of the year, most likely November December. But I don't know, or maybe they'll just announce it, but they won't actually happen. I mean, I don't know why it wouldn't happen this specific year because it is the 75th anniversary. But I feel like when they do announce it, it'll be the same month that they do the the Robin variant covers as the theme. Yeah, um, I also think that something that we will probably get there is some kind of, and this is going to be kind of vague, but some kind of announcement for Harley Quinn, something else. I mean. I just can't see them not. I mean, right now, every every time we have a holiday, we have a special, right? I mean, do we have a summer one now? A summer special? There's a summer one, and uh, well, I mean, the biggest thing, obviously, that we could throw out there is Harley Quinn uh, Halloween special because that's coming. Yeah, that that would be yep. in October. So I mean, it's almost bound to to be the case. Yeah, I think that that would probably be it too. And then I think that we will get some kind of announcement or some kind of hint of what we just talked about, which is some not divorce of continuity books. Maybe there'll be one shots or our trades like, like Dustin said, or maybe there'll be ongoings, but I do think we're going to get something because convergence is over. 
And I would have to believe that they they've been thinking about this since before they published it. One would hope, yeah. you know. So I, I think we'll get an announcement there to kind of clear all this mess up for all of us. Yeah, they need to have just like a post convergence panel where really they do. like hash out like this is what we mean by this, uh, and you know, and and that should be like really right at the top because I feel like they had something like that with with New Fifty Two. Like this is what New Fifty Two is. I think there's going to be an announcement of an original graphic novel um, that'll be pretty big. And I don't know if um, – I heard a rumor, and I don't know if this is wishful thinking, but I heard a rumor that Johns was actually like somewhat in, in thoughts over in development of uh, Earth One Batgirl. One, mm-hmm. of course. You, yeah, I've heard that rumor too. Yes, yeah, please. and and I know Barbara was mentioned right uh, a couple times in the second one, but she didn't she didn't appear as I I thought she was going to. But in the previous um, San Diego's, there's all there has been you know they've revealed different things. So I think the last one they did was this uh, the Superman one. Um, I think so that they yeah. gave information on. But I feel like that that would be something big. But I agree that once they drop the veil of convergence, that they I think they've got already a slate of titles that they are, that they are ready or readying. And, and I think they're going to be big titles that are going to really get people excited because I think that first wave, as they, as their, their terminology they always use, their first wave really has to be impressive to get people on board. And so I think, uh, I'm not going to make any guesses as to what that's going to be, but I, I think that's what they're going to do. I'd be perfectly fine with locking Jeff Johns in the basement, by the way, and making him giving us an Earth one every quarter. It's <laughs> well, fine with me. Yeah, it also <laughs> comes down to our uh, the artist too, Frank. Yeah, th- I think it actually has yeah. more to do with the artist than anything else. Eventually, I mean, like I think what'll end up happening is he'll need to link up with some other artists in order to, to keep doing the stuff because I remember very specifically hearing that it took Frank like a year to do Earth two or uh, volume two of Earth One, Batman, and it, it took him a lot longer. And then in the middle of it, he had to put together a ton of uh, variant covers or something for DC and some other stuff that kept it from happening. I'm just thinking to myself, like, eventually, you know, Johns is going, I honestly feel like Johns is going to get away from writing single monthly issues very, very soon in the future. And he'll concentrate a lot more on, you know, the, the entertainment side of stuff because he's already involved in a lot of other projects as far as DC entertainment goes with, you know, the video games and the TV shows. He writes a lot of, he writes episodes for, you know, both Arrow and Flash. I'm sure he'll end up writing episodes for Legends of Tomorrow and Supergirl at some point. You know, he's involved in, in some sort of capacity with, uh, Gotham. He's, you know, he's involved in some sort of capacity with some of the movies. So in some way, I feel like he will get away from writing single monthly issue stories, but it'll turn into he'll start writing more graphic novels. And if it ends up being Earth One stuff or ends up being other things, I don't really have a problem with that, but either way, he's going to have to be working with some more than just, you know, one or two artists here and there. But I agree. Trades every quarter from him would be awesome. I'm kind of surprised he's still writing single issues, right? With all the uh, TV writing and and the other liaison work he does for DC Comics and that administrative role. I sometimes find it shocking that he's got time to whip out the pad and pen and, and write down Aquaman 39 or whatever, you know, like, yeah, the guy must work 17 hours a day. 
Yeah, he really must. Um, all right. So my predictions for Comic Con, I feel like something big is happening in October and I have a hard time believing that it's going to be some sort of like, you know, September-ish, uh, event that we've seen in the past with Futures End or Villains Month or Zero Month. I don't feel like it's going to be anything like that where everything is going to get put on hold. I don't feel like, I feel like they have realized that that is a really bad idea. But instead, if they make every four months like a celebration type thing where they launch some new series, they, you know, they do the little swag stuff that they just did, you know, in June for a lot of these new books or, you know, the direction of some of the books, they, they do that every four months. They don't need to have an event month where they have all these ridiculous titles. They can just start fresh. The issue is that we know with a lot of the main top books, like Justice League, Batman, the artists, they have, it feels like they have contracted, you know, breaks that they are required per year because of how many times Capullo is not writing a book or uh, not not, uh, doing the art on a book or, you know, we see the artist change on Justice League here and there. So, I mean, like, I wonder if there's, if that would be the way they do it where they just, you know, we see it in September, Capullo is not on the book, but they're still continuing the story. So maybe that's something we see, but I feel like October is going to be something where there's going to be a new slate of some new mini series or maybe be a couple new show, uh, a couple new, uh, you know, monthlies that are, they're going to start off. But I think what they're, the other thing is that I want them to definitively say that you know, the monthlies that when they announce a monthly that they are going to be fully behind the monthly for at least a year, give it 12, mo- 12 issues before they even remotely come to the conclusion that it needs to be canceled. Because, you know, when we saw last year, not that I thought Clarion was that good or anything, but like a book that has only had one or two months worth of sales, yeah. in order to immediately judge that that book needs to get canceled. You should have never released that book in the first place. You should have made it a miniseries or made it a, a – Or not made it writer. anything at all if you had that little faith in yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that's the thing. So like I want them to definitively say, listen, these miniseries, we know they don't have long-term potential, but we have we, – we want to tell the story. So we're going to give them six issues, let them tell their story. There's no need to be in fear of the, the series being canceled. Just pick it up, read it, six issues goes by. If it's super popular, maybe we'll bring back the character and tell another story in the future. That's what I want to happen. I, I Because I feel like they're not really communicating that well enough. Um, as far as any other predictions, I feel like we're getting to the point very soon here where they're going to have to come up with the direction that they're going to go in Batman because 44 comes out in... Uh, it, it comes out in September. That means we basically have six months from September, which I believe would be like March, April next year right. that Snyder and Capullo are done. So, I mean, like not to say that they need to announce it six issues beforehand, but they need to figure out some way of doing that where if they're not going to come back for, you know, past 50, they're going to have to start figuring out what exactly you're going to do and build hype without diminishing, you know, Snyder and Capullo's last couple issues. Because that seems to also be the case sometimes is when a creator leaves a book, nobody really cares when they leave the book. They all care when the you know, sales numbers start dwindling because they have to announce their solicitation three months in advance. So maybe something gets mentioned with that. Maybe maybe they, they up their contract and they're going to be staying on the book. And maybe that's why both of them are going to be at San Diego and they're going to announce that. We'll see. But 
I don't have any definitive things other than I'm positive there's going to be a new wave of stuff happening in October. Now, I, I, here's my thought. I, I, you hit on something there, Dustin. I bet we hear one way or another about Snyder and Capullo. I bet we either find out they're leaving or find out they're staying. You know? Because if they're only going to go to 50, there's no way that they're going to be able to pass up some kind of massive countdown for end of the era, Snyder's last Batman ep. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't see there's any way that they don't push that for sales a little bit. So I would bet if they're staying or we're leaving, we'll, we might get an announcement for that. All right. So those are our thoughts for San Diego. Uh, I want, I had one more discussion point, but I'm actually going to hold off on it, but I'll give you a tease. Um, if you have been playing Batman Arkham Knight, I know this is not the video game podcast this is the comic cast, but there's a couple different things that I, I wanted to discuss regarding Batman Arkham Knight and the storyline and things like that. But due to time constraints and the fact that we've already gone over what I thought we would be, because we, I guess we talked about those slew of books from the TV spotlight much longer than I anticipated. But that being said, we will hold that conversation for the next time we have a discussion, but that'll also give you guys, the fans, a chance to play the game a little bit longer because at this point the game hasn't even been out a week since we're, you know, from the time we're recording this, it hasn't even been out a week. But that being said, You'll have some more time to play it so you'll know exactly what to talk about or, you know, what we're talking about in relation to certain things. But specifically talking about the characterizations of the characters in the video game compared to their comic counterparts. So if you guys have any thoughts on Batman Arkham Knight and how it relates to the comics, leave your comments in the comment section. We'll be sure to bring those up when we discuss this when we have a little bit more time. So with that, that is actually going to be everything for this episode. I want to remind everybody to head over to the website for all the latest news related to movies, TV, merchandise, video games, and of course the comics. Also be sure to check us out on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. And be sure to join our Facebook group to chat with other Bat fans about everything originating from the Batman universe. Also, leave us reviews in iTunes. Those are always greatly appreciated. And as I've said multiple times, leave your comments on the podcast post over on the website so your comments can be read on the next episode. Just as a slight reminder, as we've talked about, San Diego Comic-Con is literally two weeks away, a week away from the time you're listening to this. So because of that... The end, because of the month of July having five weeks, we are actually going to postpone recording the comic cast um, in relation to everything that's happening at San Diego, but specifically because of when we would normally be recording would be the week of Comic-Con, and there's going to be too much news releasing from Comic-Con, at least we're hoping there is, yeah. to <laughs> specifically record an episode and get it out that week. So... The next episode will actually be released in three weeks and we'll cover everything related to Comic-Con, hopefully as well as the solicitations for October, so we can all discuss that on the next episode, as well as the three weeks worth of books, including Batman and Detective Comics. And then we'll get right back on schedule with every two weeks and then we'll just have a shorter episode and more of a, more time for discussion in the last episode of July. So three weeks from today is the next time we'll see you guys. So with that... That is everything for this episode. This is Dustin. This is Ed. And this is Stella. And you've been listening to the Batman Years Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys in three weeks.